0: What you're about to hear is a discussion about personal experience with cancer. We're not medical professionals, and at no point are we making recommendations for diagnosis, treatment, nor care. All opinions are highly personal, as each individual experiences mental and physical side effects of cancer and cancer treatments differently. We're only here to listen, discuss, and break the social taboo of cancer. Well, we are here with Diana. Diana and, um, yeah, she's a friend of a friend and we're very happy to have her here. So we'll just jump right in. Um, could you
1: tell us a little bit about at the beginning of your story? So I was 28 at the time. It was right before New Year's Eve and I was on my couch and I was reading a book and I Fate almost feels too not powerful enough of a word that I just adjusted my bra and felt a lump. And it probably was the size of a quarter or smaller. And I think for like 20 minutes, I just felt around. And I was like, this is weird. I mean, breasts have a lot going on in them. And how am I supposed to know if there's anything in there? But I just, I kept feeling it and feeling it. And so the next day I went to my doctor's office cause it just happened to be in the building next to where I work. So it was super convenient. And she felt around and she's like, you know what? It's, it's not, um, moving a lot. Um, so I feel like it's, you know, it's probably fibrous or something like that. And she's like, you're super young. It's probably nothing, but you know what? It's your first lump. Here's a referral to get an ultrasound and just, just, for your peace of mind. So I was like, okay. So I walked out there being like, I'm totally over-exaggerating. Like, this is nothing. I don't think it could be anything. And then later that night, I just remembered maybe like four years prior, I saw an Instagram post of a girl from high school that I just randomly followed, not even friends with. And she had posted about her friend getting breast cancer when she was 28. And I remember reading the post at the time thinking like, I had no idea you could get breast cancer young. I thought, 50 and plus. There's no way you could get it younger than that. That's crazy. So, when I saw that post, I was like, that is insane. And it just kind of opened up that door for me. And so, when I was lying in bed later that night, I was like, what if? Like, what if I'm her Mm -hmm. friend at age 28? And I thought that it was so wild and not to go on a tangent here, but like my best friend at 21 passed away from leukemia and I went through like chemo, radiation, like all of that with her. So I was like, what are the odds that two of us under 30 get cancer? I'm like, that is fucking crazy. I'm like, the statistics of that are just wild. I'm like, it can't. So I'm like, I think I'm just being a hypochondriac, whatever. So I left it for a whole month. I just was like, "This, there's no way this is totally wild. And then I just kept feeling the lump day after day. And I I could have been in my head, but I think at this point it probably was the case that it kept getting bigger. And I kept feeling it and feeling it. And work was so busy, I just like couldn't think the time to do it. And one day, like a month later... I finally saw the referral in my wallet, and I was like, just do it. Just do it. Get it over with. Whatever. So I made the appointment, and they oddly had a, a availability the next day. I'm like, that seems weird. Like, Normally, these are like two weeks and whatnot. So I was like, that, that feels like a weird sign. So I took the appointment, and then they did an ultrasound, and they said, uh, you need to come back tomorrow for a biopsy
2: and a mammogram. So at that point, were you like a little like, oh, is something going on here because they asked you to come back. So I
1: was, but then they reassured me. They're like, even if it was nothing, we'd still want to do these tests because you're so young that like, if things progress, it would progress very quickly. Mm -hmm. So I was like, okay, okay, just relax. Like this is very protocol. Like it'll be fine. So the next day happened to be my birthday and I was going to push it, but I was like, no, maybe it's, maybe it's like, you know, good vibes that like, it'll be nothing. So I got the biopsy and mammogram
2: done and very invasive like, did not ex- appreciate how invasive a biopsy is. Yes. I didn't I didn't even know what a biopsy was before I went to get my first biopsy. No idea. No idea. Did you know? I had no idea. They literally go inside of you. Yeah.
1: <laughs> and just, like, rip out yeah.
2: tissue. It's wild.
1: Oh, yeah. And then they do it on a screen with an yes. ultrasound so you can see what they're doing. Yeah. You can see what they're doing. Yes. Yeah. 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 <laughs> So you could, they like, you know, well, it'd be like an ultrasound where you see like your baby moving around. It'd be the same thing. And then they see that you see the needle poking at the little
2: lump. That
0: makes it so much worse.
2: I couldn't see that. That's wild. But I could see they were putting like the tissue that they ripped out because they took like five different samples and they were putting it on like an x-ray thing. So I could see that. I could see them like taking it out and putting it on there, but I couldn't see the actual needle. I don't know what's worse. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) Two very wildly uncomfortable situations. (laughs) Yeah. And like, I also
1: just didn't want to tell anyone I got it done because I'm like thinking in my head, like, this is, this is nothing. Not to mention, like, I just didn't want to divulge into the details of how invasive it was and how just like everything I did. So that night at my birthday, I just like kept silent thinking I was going to get good vibes. But
0: did anybody at this point know that you had found a lump or did you no. tell no one? Or I you told, told no one. Nothing? Yeah.
1: I just didn't feel like it was anything. Like I felt like saying something would have made it more real. I don't know. How did you feel at your birthday? Like, were you able to get it out of your mind? I was, but I did tell my one friend as we were walking to the thing, I was like, so I got this done today. I think it's nothing, but I got it done. And yeah, I'm in a lot of pain from it because it was painful. Oh, right, and, yeah. But I didn't feel like telling anyone else. And then it was so weird because now that I think back, the person I told is not like a close, close friend of mine anymore. But I'm like, that's so weird that she
2: was, like, the first person in the whole world that I told. I didn't even tell my partner. Well, maybe sometimes I think it's, like, easier to tell someone that's a little bit distant from you. Because it's not like you're yeah. putting that on someone that you, like, really care about. That's a good point. But I was going to ask if you had a partner at that time. because Yes,
1: I did. You know I Actually, come to think of it, I, maybe I told him about the biopsy. But up until that point, I don't think I told him. I don't know. It's, like, weird to, like, open that door and to mm-hmm. talk about what could be at that point. So yeah. So I I had my birthday and then they were like, oh, we'll call you in like seven to 10 days. And then they called me in five and I was like, well, this can't be good (laughs) because things take forever in the medical world. Mm -hmm. And then I went there, I was during work and I went to the doctor and she's like, so it's cancerous. And I was like, I was just in shock. And also at the same time, this is like, it's so heavy, but like my best friend who passed away with leukemia, her mom had brain cancer at that time. So seven years after she died, she had brain cancer and then I got cancer at the same time. So all I was wow. thinking about was telling this poor family that's like taking me in as like a second child Oh my god! that I had to tell them that I also had cancer. I'm like, what is the universe's plan like at this point? So in that moment I was like, okay, I've dealt with some shit. Like I got this, like this is nothing compared to what they've gone through. So I didn't even Like shed a tear in the meeting. I was like, yeah, cool. I got this. Like, I can do this. I know what's coming. I know what I'm going to have to do. I got this. And then after that, the tears eventually fell, but it was so surreal. It was just crazy.
0: Did they give you any sense of how far along the cancer was or anything to make you understand whether it was a little bit more, a little bit less serious?
1: No, so that's actually a good question because no, they don't until you get your first appointment with your doctor. Mm -hmm. And so in those days that thankfully I had um, a connection with the breast clinic at Princess Margaret, so I got an appointment within 24 hours, Mm -hmm. I would have had to wait seven whole days to see a doctor. So I would have been told you have breast cancer and that's it. And now you have to wait a whole week to know anything else. And in those 24 hours, you're convincing yourself that you have full blown body cancer.
0: (laughs) Mm
2: -hmm. Yeah. (laughs) It's crazy. (laughs) I know. I can't remember. Mine was kind of strange because they couldn't determine right away if it was cancerous. But it was the same thing where it was like, okay, we're going to schedule all of these scans for you. So all of a sudden I'm going for like CT scans and bone scans. And I'm like, oh shit, like, is it in my bones? Like, what's going on? They signed you up for those tests already? Yeah, right away. I did the like, when they, after they did the biopsies, um, and they knew that it was like pre-cancerous, it was very confusing. It was like, there's calcifications and it's precancerous, cancerous but we can't determine if it's actually cancer. And me and my partner were just like, okay, we literally don't know what's going on. And then they were just like, okay, you have to like, in the next two weeks, go do like five different scans. And then you'll come back from those scans and then we'll like continue down the road of determining whether or not you should do surgery so thankfully all of my scans determined that it was like just contained and that there wasn't any cancer anywhere else but yeah it was just like two weeks of doing lots of different tests (laughs) that I had never like yeah I didn't even I didn't know what they were It was wild so early on they're indicating like oh it could be elsewhere
1: yeah oh my god yeah I can't imagine that stress yeah (laughs) wow that's nuts Yeah, I mean, and the stress alone is causing you to have weird pains throughout your whole body. Like, I remember my back was seizing up and I was like, oh my God, is it in my back? (laughs) And you're just convincing. And then two, two days prior, I felt the healthiest I've ever been. So, like, how is my mind going to this dark place? Like, cancer is so fucked up because... One day you're feeling great and the next day you still look like the same person and you're walking down the street and people would see you as the same person, but you're convincing yourself cancer is throughout your entire body. And so this is like a side comment, but like it really goes to show like everyday empathy is such a real thing because I walk down the street two days later knowing I had cancer, looking like my same self and just kindness in those moments are so important. And you just never know what anyone's going through. That's so true. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah, so, yeah, I found out I had cancer, and then the ball just rolls. Like, you just can't even keep up. You're drinking out of a fire, ho- a fire hose at that point, and yeah.
0: One of the things that makes things so complex is because it's not like you were in pain, correct? Like, yeah, you just had this lump. It's completely painless. And then someone tells you it's cancer, and now if it doesn't hurt, there's no pain, there's no other symptoms. I guess it could just be anywhere. Yep. And that stress is just wild. I'm so glad your stress lasted like, tw- I mean, at least that acute stress was 24 hours.
1: <laughs> well, technically no. Cause I mean, that's when I got my doctor, but I mm-hmm. didn't get the test to actually like fully determine what it was until probably two, three weeks later. And what was that test? Yeah. So the first step was I met the, I think I met the surgeon first. And so she's a specific breast surgeon and they do a feel around because at this point, all they can do is feel, I mean, they think they have the results of the biopsy and the biopsy shows, I think, uh, some important things like what the, what the tumor is growing off of. Um, and I think it shows like, I don't, it has been a while, so I don't know the terminology, but it shows a certain um, way it's growing. And so how, what it's growing off of is hormones. So sometimes you can have a hormone positive breast cancer. Sometimes it could be hormone negative. And then there's how it's growing, which is called um, HER2. I don't know the full name of it. Um, And so if you're hormone positive and HER2 positive, that's a really bad one. If you're What's called triple negative, which is like you're not – it's not growing off estrogen or progesterone, and it's not HER2 positive. That's called triple negative, and that's a really bad one because something else is causing it. And the – I mean, the best one, I say, but like worst of the best – or best of the worst, sorry, is – um S or hormone positive because there's other ways that you can treat that um, and help you not have a reoccurrence down the road. And so from the biopsy, mine was determined to be est- very high estrogen positive, slightly progesterone positive, and then HER2 negative. So that was a relief. I mean, I definitely, you definitely expect the worst once you get into this world. And that was definitely a mini victory because by having it. Estrogen positive, you can treat that after the fact. So you can take drugs after you're done active treatment to hopefully reduce the chances of recurrence way down the road. Mm-hmm. Um, so that was a positive. And then the question then becomes when you're really young, it grows more aggressively because your hormones are just raging through your body versus postmenopausal, they're just a lot less. So it's kind of like get it done and get it done fast best case scenario when you're young is you can have surgery first. That rarely happens though, because um, it's just growing too fast or it's spread. It's uh, the first thing it spreads to is the lymph nodes. So it's like, is it in the lymph nodes? Is it, you know, gone throughout the body? At that point, it's determined to be stage four. So it's kind of like, what stage is it? Can we do surgery first? And then what do we do after that? So I had caught it. Eventually, I did the MRI, uh, which is of the breasts and the lymph nodes, and that um, is the most sensitive test, and then a mammogram also, but mammograms, A, they're they suck. They're so painful and uncomfortable. Yeah. Oh my God. That's the one where it squishes your boob. Yeah, it squishes your boob into a pancake. Yeah. <laughs> no one told me this. Yeah. And when you're younger, your your breasts have so
2: much density to them and so much like tissue that it's so even more painful. I had a really horrifying experience that I don't know if I should bring up because I don't want to scare <laughs> people, but but I will. <laughs> um I had to go for a mammogram right before I got surgery so I still had the lump and my lump was like big like it was like probably this big and like long and um I did the mammogram and like right after my nipples started bleeding and I was like what the fuck and I was like convinced that she had like popped the tumor or something and that it was just like in my body everywhere. Oh, I was my. like, oh my God, I had like a panic attack that night. Everything turned out to be fine. I guess that's like a common thing that can happen. Oh, but
0: did they not tell you in the moment that you were bleeding that it was okay? She was just like, oh
2: and then like didn't like say anything. What? Yeah. <laughs> yes. That is crazy. Yeah. How that- dare she? <laughs> yeah.
1: It, and also, to, like, they're so insensitive. I know. They're like, oh, yeah.
2: you're fine, honey. Yeah, I think she was honestly a little bit shocked and, like, didn't know what to say, which didn't help me at all. Oh, my <laughs> but, God.
0: But now yeah. people listening, it is normal. What yeah. It does. Wild things can <laughs> happen. Don't hardware. worry. The
2: cancer didn't just explode into your body. It's, <laughs> yeah, 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 wow. I would, but that was my
0: thought process when you said it squished into a pancake. I'm just like, well, what happens to this very sensitive tumor that is growing inside of your body? Like, how can it be that squished?
1: Uh, yeah. Well, what's, what's crazy too, is the biopsy. There's theories that say that when they take the cancer sample out of the tumor, it can spread the cells like throughout the tissue as it pulls it, the needle out. I didn't know this until after the fact, thank God I did not obsess over it at the time, but I have heard that that's a thing. Well, do
0: they think it's a, a thing?
1: I think that it's a risk
2: not
0: necessarily like happens every time but it's a risk. Sometimes I think about especially in Canada with the amount of cancer research that happens, I sometimes try to think like into the future, like let's say like 10, 20 years from now when they start saying like I can't believe they used to do things <sighs> I like know. this.
1: Yeah. I I don't know why I always think about that. Think but-, are, but there are some things now with breast cancer where you can say that. Oh really? Yeah. Like things like, um, it's called like nipple sparing where when they actually like take the breasts off, like there's no nipples. So these poor women have like breasts, like they do the implant stuff and they have no nipples. But now they do nipple sparing where they keep the they save the nipple and then they put it back on. So you actually have like, you know, normal looking breasts. Or like the, the quantity of radiation has gone down over the years after research has come out. In mm. fact, while I was getting my radiation not to go down to that road yet, but like they actually reduced the number of days by one day right as I started. Because they're like research literally just came out that 20 days is just as good as 21. So we're doing 20.
2: Oh, wow. wow. Yeah.
1: That is such a specific amount. I know. For yeah. research to find out. Just like m- imagine that was like 10 years of research and they reduced it by one day. Yeah. yeah.
2: <laughs> but, <laughs> but one day yeah, less of radiation be a lot. is yeah. huge, right? Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: Yeah. So
0: can you remind me what your cancer was? Because I think you were also positive for...
2: Yeah, so mine was um, estrogen positive and HER2 positive. Okay. Progesterone negative. Yeah. Okay. So I did a, a separate chemo drug for her too, but...
1: Yeah, got it.
2: Yeah. And
0: yours was progesterone and...
1: Estrogen positive. The Estrogen was the p- predominant one and then progesterone. Okay. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Okay. So um, did your doctor tell you that you would have to get surgery?
1: Yes. So they, I don't, thinking back in hindsight, this was ludicrous, but they, they kind of made it seem like I may not have to do chemo. They were like, let's <laughs> yeah. <Des> is, like <laughs> nodding at me, Yeah, <laughs> but like, let's just um, see the MRI results and whatnot. And then we'll kind of assess it there. So I literally got this idea in my head that like, I may not have to do chemo, which is ludicrous because I don't know a single young person with breast cancer that didn't have to do chemo. But anyways, um, I thought that Uh, So after the results, they were like, okay, we think we can do surgery first. We think that's the best way to do it. Because at that point, the tumor in diameter was 2.1 centimeters. And the MRI showed that my lymph nodes were fine, which is amazing because that would have meant that it's pretty aggressive at that point. Um, So like surgery first. And now looking back, I'm like, that was incredible because surgery for breast cancer is the cure like that is absolutely the cure. Everything else is um just proactive. So even like chemo radiation, like while that will kill cells, it's, it's more just like being um safe. Like if you can get it out in surgery, that's incredible. So to be able to do surgery first was amazing. It's like get that out of me and then let's just, you know, do this precautionary stuff to be safe. So that was amazing and also what was amazing now in hindsight, realizing this is, I got the opportunity to do a lumpectomy versus a mastectomy. Which which one did you? Do?
2: I did it. So at first, they were really pushing me because I was at I was actually at a different hospital, and then I transferred over to Princess Margaret. But at the first hospital, they were really pushing me to do a mastectomy, like purely just based on my age, not anything because at that point they didn't even know like how much cancer there was. Yeah, that's so, so
1: weird. Yeah, they were pushing me to do a lumpectomy. Really? Yeah, wow. that's probably just the different in hospital. Could have been. Yeah. Cause I, cause I, I was thinking maybe I'll do a mastectomy cause in my mind, I'm just like, just take it all like whatever, whatever. But then my surgeon, I could get, I got the sense that she was like, you should, you should really lean towards lumpectomy cause it's you can do it quicker. It's less invasive, obviously. Um, and so that's what I eventually went with, but that was a really tough decision. I don't know if you had a really
2: hard time too. It was. Yeah. I didn't, I mean, at the very beginning I was like, whatever you do, like I'll do it. Like, I don't care. Just same thing. Like just take it out. But then after I had time to like, think about it and do a little bit more research, the effects of a mastectomy seemed like it would have a way bigger impact on your life, like having people have pain and just like not having a breast, like the the emotional impact of that. Um, so I really wanted to do the lumpectomy. So I brought that to the doctors at Princess Margaret and they were – my surgeon was – fine to go ahead with that. So I was able to do that, thankfully. Oh, that's great. Yeah.
1: Yeah, Because I don't know a lot of young women that have done lumpectomies. They always do the mastectomy, A, because they either have to, or B, because it's kind of like the whole take them all, like, I don't want to deal with it anymore. But they, my surgeon told me this, and again, it's hearsay because it's coming from her, but she did say there's no increased risk of recurrence between lumpectomy or a mastectomy. Like, you might think mastectomy, take it all, whatever, but apparently... It doesn't increase that risk. So
0: but. then is the point of getting a mastectomy, like would that be the choice if it has just spread throughout your whole breast? Cause then what would be the point of doing yep. a mastectomy at all?
1: Well, that that would be it. Okay. Yeah. So mine was contained in a lump, whereas right. sometimes they can have multiple lumps or sometimes it can just be, yeah, just more spread out. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Or some, some women depending on where the lump is, So mine was on the outside, like near my armpit, and cosmetically, they can make that look better. Whereas Mm -hmm. if it's on the inside near your chest, there can be quite a bit of a dimple and they have to Mm -hmm. move tissue around. Surgeons are pretty good these days. Like my surgeon was incredible. I I'm curious
2: to know if you guys had the same. I know. Surgeon. I want to ask. <laughs> who was <is> your surgeon? <laughs> yeah, we can. Doctor Sil? Oh no, mine was Doctor Eason. Oh, I've seen the name. She is like amazing. Like oh. mine was on. Mine is literally right here on the inside, oh, and it's wow. like. It's just a scar. Like, you can't see anything else. It's wild. You can wild.
1: barely see my scar anymore. Yeah. It's
2: crazy. Yeah.
1: I I just want to praise her. I'm going to see her soon, and I just want to tell her she's amazing. Yeah. <laughs> and I don't know about Dr. Eason, but Dr. Sill so was just best bedside manner is, like, Same. the most amazing person. Yeah. Yeah. Similar experience for sure. Yeah. Oh, that's good. I'm glad to hear that. Yeah. <laughs> But but the one thing about mastectomy is like, I just thought like, oh, breast implants, like call it a day, like it'll be fine and they'll look fine. But no, it's like, because they're taking all the tissue, they have to put the implant behind the muscle. So they have to stretch your pec muscles out, put the implant behind the muscle to keep the blood flow. So the skin doesn't like die on, on the outside. And that can limit all of your abilities, like Think of all the activities you can do, like yoga, swimming, like lifting, anything. It's all could be limited. And when I heard that, I was like, whoa, pump the brakes. I can't live my life like that starting at my 30. Not to mention, like, implants have to get replaced down the road. Like, that's a thing. Or you can get them ruptured. And there's just so many risks when you start to open the bag. So I was like, okay, lumpectomy my breasts will be reshaped
2: whatever i'll just do it and i'm really glad i did it yeah i mean especially if you guys had the choice it's very like and the healing process is just so much longer because you have to do this process like you were saying where they like stretch this everything out so that you have space and it's like you have to go and like get i think they put an implant in and then they like fill it up slowly over time to like stretch so it just increases your like recovery time and by multiple surgeries multiple surgeries yeah like it's a, it's a lot so that was definitely an, another thing that um made me not want to go down that road
1: yeah and I don't know I don't know if this was yeah pr- pr- you probably have this too but like you can go back and get reconstructive surgery if you want for free yeah right? yeah. 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 yeah yeah so like if for whatever reason down the road if I am feeling asymmetrical and I'm not loving it, I could go and get surgery to maybe get my one side reduced to
2: match the, the mm-hmm. lumpectomy side. And then that'd be free of charge, which mm-hmm. is kind of nice. And one thing I've been told <laughs> that I don't know because I don't have kids yet is, so maybe you can answer this question. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> um, is that when you have a lumpectomy, like you can only breastfeed in the non-lumpectomy side. So I've been told that like your non-lumpectomy breast can get pretty like stretched out in comparison to the other one.
1: Yeah. So I can definitely give you some like (laughs) (laughs) recent experience. So everyone was so optimistic that I could breastfeed off of my lumpectomy breast, but like you kind of just know your own body. And I was like, from pregnancy till when I gave birth, nothing was going on in that breast. Like, nothing. Not at all. Nada. And I was like, I just don't think this is going to work out. And, all, but then what I didn't realize was the mental fuck. I was like, I'm breastfeeding my. Newborn baby off of a breast that I had radiation on. I was like, while there's is probably an irrational thought, I can't do it.
2: So I just didn't. That's so true. I didn't even think of that. But that's a really good point. Yeah, (laughs) Yeah.
1: and and I don't know about you, but I also have like just pain, like just
2: you know, and you have to express.
1: I was just like, no, I'm just gonna do one side. Yeah, yeah, yeah. When you
0: say that nothing was going on in that breast, do you mean that like nothing different was going on, or you just feel like you? Did you feel like you were getting
1: like milk to that breast, or? So, like, when you get pregnant, almost immediately, your breasts get really tender and sore. And that, my left side, I felt nothing. Okay. The whole so that's pregnancy, yeah. And then my right side was just getting bigger and bigger, and my left side was just there was nothing going on. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So then, when they were telling me, "Oh, you can probably breastfeed," I was like, "I just don't think so." There's nothing happening.
2: I mm-hmm. wonder. <laughs> She's <laughs> asleep. Yeah, yeah. Can I Explain to
1: you why that is. Oh, because they it, just only took a small part of it out. So my theory and this is not medical this isn't what my surgeon told me or anything but because cosmetically they want they don't want there to be like um a, a dimple or like a lump where or sorry an m what do you call that um indent indent yeah, yeah. where the lump was they moved the tissue around mm-hmm. so i don't know how messed up the tissue is in the breast and whether the milk ducts are all kind of moved around and messed up or also have to take out more than just the lump. They need to right. take out a chunk around it. So that could be why. I don't know. Or the radiation gives a lot of scar tissue too, right? Yeah.
2: yeah. And like I mean, I don't know about you, but I I it's probably similar for a lot of people is like your breast is like numb for years. Like I still don't have feeling in certain parts yeah. of it. So like I think things are just affected in general.
0: <laughs> Do you think it was the, ra- the radiation that made it numb?
2: No, it's surgery. They tell you it's surgery.
0: Wow, that is so interesting. Yeah, I have a numb, numb, like a
1: couple spots,
0: yeah. How soon after that initial appointment with your doctor did you get to do surgery?
1: It was so, sorry, it was exactly actually a month after I was diagnosed that I got into surgery, which I think is pretty fast Mm -hmm. because the tests and everything take like two to three weeks. And so then I got in within four weeks, which Was amazing. And I can't even tell you the feeling after that surgery of just knowing it was out of me was the best feeling. I'm like, wow, I can't. Because also, if I had taken the mastectomy route, I would have had to wait in an additional 30 days from what I would have had from the lumpectomy, which is crazy because then that is enough time for it to have grown, gotten into maybe my lymph nodes, which is totally wild. So that was another reason why I was glad I did the lumpectomy. Every day is. Every day matters when you're diagnosed. For
0: context, was this during COVID or before? Before. Okay. 2018. Okay. 2018. Right, right, right. Okay. Okay. That's good because hers was during COVID. So there's like a whole other world of like delays at that time. Oh my gosh.
2: I mean, honestly, I experienced almost the whole thing throughout COVID. So it didn't really, like, I didn't know any different. So I kind of just went with it. And I mean, I did have to wait like a month at least, I think, for my surgery, which, but to me, I don't know. I was just kind of like, okay, I I was just going with things. I feel like I wasn't overthinking things too much. I mean, obviously. what do you have
1: to compare it to? Yeah,
2: exactly. So I was just kind of like, okay, I guess this is just how things happen. And to me, a month didn't seem like that long. It wasn't like six months or something. So, um. I heard they were pushing surgeries. Yeah, but there were definitely a lot of delays, um, And I kind of would see that in like the community too. people talking about that a lot, Mm -hmm. but I don't know. It was, it was okay. It was okay for me. I think the biggest thing in COVID was just the not being able to like bring people with you. (gasps) That would have been so hard. I I got really lucky. Like I had to do a lot of appointments, but mostly just follow-up appointments on my own. Um, I don't think I actually, like, I had to do my, like, what chemo were you going to do appointment alone? But I had, like, my partner on speakerphone. Um, But otherwise, like, when I did chemo, my partner came with me because I did cold capping. So, like, I needed someone there to help me. But, like, otherwise, I can't imagine, like, everyone else there just had to, like, go alone. But didn't you find that a lot of people, oh, sorry, I guess you were in COVID,
1: but, like, I found a lot of people were alone. Just, like, anyways. Yeah. Yeah. In fact, I was one of very few that had people with me. Wow! Yeah, I think
2: for some people it just kind of become like maybe I don't know. It's like in their routine of their day that you know, and like their family is working or whatever, and and yeah, no one can come. I don't know, or maybe but, it's their like fourth time, or you know, yeah, down the road, and they're like. S- some people that I saw did seem very just like unfazed by everything. Yeah, so <laughs> maybe. Yeah, <laughs> but yeah, it's, that's it's interesting. A sad place. Yeah. <laughs>
0: Uh, At this point, I assume you've now told probably your partner and some close friends prior to the surgery, because I'm curious to know who was with you then throughout that process.
1: Yeah. So I eventually must have told my partner before I got the biopsy, because I remember he knew I got it. And then when I knew I had my doctor's appointment to find the results out, I left that morning, which is like oddly like so ingrained in my mind now. Otherwise it would have been such an average day. And he's and we were leaving for work, like we always did. And he's just like, what are we going to do about the results? And in my head, this whole time, I realized in that moment how much I was just knowing it was going to be okay. So I quickly was just like, well, if it's bad, I'll just come home. And that's just kind of how I left it. And so at that point, he was the only person that knew. And then I called him and then had to start calling people, which was so hard when you have to start telling people, because when you tell people, what people don't realize is you have to say it out loud. You have to say, I have cancer and you have to put I and cancer in the same sentence. And you're telling the people that you love the most in the world, because those are the people you're calling first, right? Oof, that is heavy. Like after like five calls, you just, you're done. You can't do it anymore. And that's when you really need your friends. You 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 need to be okay with it yourself before you take this next step, but you almost need your friends to start telling people for you because you doing it yourself is too much. It's too heavy. So yeah, I told my sister and my parents, and I think by that point, I was like, this is too much. And then my sister came down and hung out with me for the day and she came to my appointments. But While I had been in the cancer world for many years at that point because of my friend and her mom, all these words and terminology were like very, I I was okay with them. Like I knew what they were, whereas it was her first time and I could almost see how she was reacting to it um, the way I had kind of reacted to my friend And it's really heavy to watch your friends and family deal with you having cancer. I know it sounds so weird to put yourself in the backseat of this whole thing, even though it's happening to you. But watching someone you love have cancer is, it's so awful. It's terrible because you're so out of control and you can't help them. You can just be there for them. And so I saw that in my sister and it just hit me like how much this me having cancer is going to impact so many people in my life like breaking hearts and and yeah but you need those people also to help you at the same time so yeah having the support group is really helpful and i had um a really close group of friends help me through it who had been there for our friend who mm-hmm. had passed away when like what would that have been like 8 years prior So we all knew what we were getting into, which was helpful for me, but also heavy for all of us. But yeah. At this point, were you and your partner married? No, we'd been dating for
0: three and a half years. What was the process like of letting your partner know and like going down that road with him?
1: It was, I mean, it's hard, right? Because you're. In those first, like, pivotal three to four weeks where you're taking everything in, you're booking the surgery, you're hearing about the chemo, you're mapping out your next seven months, you're dealing with so much. And so to then put yourself in a supporting role for your partner is really, really hard because they're dealing with so much. Like, their person they love the most in their life has cancer. That's really heavy, Being the person that has cancer, I can't support the person that's dealing with the person that has, you know, cancer. So I feel bad to say, but like thinking back to those moments, like I don't remember like how that all went down. I just remember trying to keep my head above water Mm -hmm. and I don't know how he dealt with it at the time. Like I remember he did cry one time on the bed with me, but other than that, I I, I remember telling him, I was like, Mark to get through this, you're going to have to find support, support elsewhere. Like you're mm-hmm. going to need your own support group because I can't be that for you. Mm-hmm. Like I'm going to need you for me, but I can't reciprocate that. Um, and I told him that pretty early on. Cause I knew that that was going to take a toll for him. Um, and I, th- I he, either he got it somewhere else or he didn't, but, um, he was there for me. And after three and a half years, it doesn't sound like a lot of time to be with someone and then go through cancer. I've, I've heard like less time people have been together and gone through
2: it. I'd be curious if you're with the same person. Um, but yeah, it's, I am. We, I mean, we were together, I think like seven years or something when I was diagnosed. So it was kind of, but it's funny because we had been together so long, but I still had the thought process of like, you don't have to go through this with me if you don't want to. Like, I feel bad, like, putting you in this situation. I never doubted that he wouldn't stay with me. Like, he's also just that kind of person. He would never leave in, like, a thousand years. But I – my instinct was kind of just to be, like, well, I don't know how bad – like, especially when you don't know how bad it is, you know, and you don't know what you're actually facing. Mm -hmm. Like, I just – I didn't want to put him in that situation, even though with or without me, it's like, even if we break up, you're still going to be dealing with this loss, you know, yeah. if things go bad. Um, but no, he just was like, no doubts. Just like, I'm here to support you. Like, and he kind of took the reins, I would say, because I was very out of it for the first little while. Yeah. Oh, that's good to hear.
1: What's we really messed up. For me, was I never thought that. But what I did think, and what hit me really hard, was I went over to his parents' house. Love lovely people. So, like, for me to have this thought is crazy. But I was like, what if like they're worried about their son because now he's having to deal with this, and this could uproot his life, the life that they've always wanted for him. And now I'm the reason why it could be uprooted. Not that they would ever think that, but that did cross my mind. And that was a heavy thought. I was like, imagine you have a child who then, like, their life is just, it was going this way, now it's totally
2: off course. And you you can't think that way, but that's the thought I had. (laughs) I mean, it's crazy the things that go through your mind, but it's like totally, like, it makes, I don't know, it makes sense that you would consider that, you know? It is because it is just a really intense thing to deal with and, and everyone in your life is dealing with it in different ways. So yeah, you and you, you don't know what people are thinking. So yeah,
1: and you're so, I mean, of course, you're so immersed in what you're dealing with. Even down the five years down the road, I'm still immersed in my experience and I'm not thinking, oh, he had... An experience of his own. He has a partner who had cancer and could have it again. Like that is so heavy to know that you may not have a future with this person.
2: I think that's what it was for me too. Thinking about like like that thought of like you don't need to stick around was more like if you stay, you're committing to being with someone that could potentially just not live as long as everyone else or deal with it coming back and, or having like, you're committing to starting a family with someone who you might potentially have to raise these kids on your own. Like these are real things that like we have to think about. Yeah. So yeah. it's, yeah. And and at three years, I could imagine that that would be a little bit intense.
1: Yeah. And yeah, I don't, I don't know. And like you, yeah, you you're thinking, I just lost my train of thought. that's okay. Yeah. (laughs) Um,
0: I do think it's pretty amazing that you were able to voice to your partner, like, this is what I'm going to need. And this is what I think you are going to need. Like the fact that you had that clarity right off the bat, essentially, I think that's so incredible.
1: Yeah. And I I guess that came from having gone through it before. I don't think I would have had that right on my shoulders otherwise, but yeah. I knew that I couldn't get all my support from him. So mm-hmm. I knew that I had to lean on multiple people and I'm I hate to say it but I'm thankful to say it that my friends had dealt with cancer before so they knew also what they were getting into and they mm-hmm. were such an incredible support system because of that and I got very lucky in a very unlucky way mm-hmm. with that. Um and that was incredible to lean on them cuz they they knew what to do. Like they were on it and my my sister was also on it. Like she was incredible. She came down. She didn't doesn't live in the area, but she came down so frequently. And so it was kind of just taking that pressure off of Mark that he didn't have to be my sports system all the time. Mm-hmm. I think that made it easier. And I had the wherewithal to know that because of my past experiences. Whereas like if I was going through the first for the first time, I probably would have just been, I, I don't even know if I knew what I needed and how to voice that and communicate it and Yeah, I think it would be really hard to go through cancer this young for the first time and not having it really in your life ever. Like, I, yeah. Which is probably
0: the case for most people because we don't really talk about young people in cancer and we don't talk about what that process is. We don't even talk about what to expect. Like, even the fact that you guys didn't know what a biopsy would be seems so strange now, but obvious that that happened because how would you know? Yeah. Why would we know? Exactly. And even the process of like, Having a family doctor, like sometimes people don't even have that at a young age. Yeah.
1: So, yeah. Or just even having the thought that this could be it. Right. Kind- I talked to so many people, they were like, Ooh, I've had a lump in my breast before. I never did anything about it. And I was like, Oh, you and you're you got off lucky? Like you didn't yeah. do anything about it? <laughs> but they're like, Oh, maybe I should be a little more mindful. And I was just like, Yeah, I know, you know. <laughs> yeah, we probably all should be a little bit
2: more like yeah. conscious of that. Maybe check that out. Yeah. I'm curious if um, your experience with your friend for like your own prognosis? Like, do you feel like it made you um, feel a little bit more, like a little stronger to be able to deal with what was ahead? Or do you feel like it made you a little more fearful? It's a good question. I feel like it was the former
1: that I felt stronger because leukemia is terrible. And what she went through was a hundred times worse than what I could have ever gone through. Even if I got to like stage four breast cancer, It's. I still don't think it would have been as terrible as what she went through. So in my head, I'm just like, whatever I'm going through is a fraction of what she had to do. And so I got this. Like that was kind of my attitude. But in kind of like a different way of looking at it because of what she went through and how terrible it was and like the fact that she was my best friend, I remember sitting down with my um, granddad who was a doctor way back in the day. And I was like, granddad, like who knew she had this? It's the symptoms for leukemia are so, so crazy. They're like swollen lymph nodes, tired, like, like very weird symptoms. Like the flu. Exactly. (laughs) You would never know. Not to mention when you're 21, like, why would you think it's leukemia? Right. Mm -hmm. And I was like, how are we supposed to know ever we have something that something could be so terrible and take our life? And I'll never forget. He was just like, you have to rely on statistics. You, you can't think you have everything under the sun all the time. You have to rely on statistics. And that comment now makes me so frustrated because I'm like, if I relied on statistics, like what are the statistics that me and her would get cancer under 30? What are the statistics that at 28 or 29, I would get breast cancer? Like it is insanity. So statistics have just totally fucked me and I'll never rely on them again. And that's a whole nother tangent because being a very small statistic makes you think you're going to be a small statistic for everything. And it is infuriating when the doctors are like, "Oh, if you get a mastectomy, like the It could rupture, but don't worry. That's in very rare cases. And you're like, well, what isn't rare about 28 and breast cancer? Like, come on. You're like, I am a rare case. Yes. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, that's frustrating. So, yeah, having having her had it so young had its pros and cons for me about how I dealt with it, but then also just made me, like, so angry because I'm like, what the fuck are the chances that this is happening?
2: Yeah, mm-hmm. I feel like I I had kind of a, obviously I can't relate on the friend. Um, I haven't had any anyone that close to me pass away tragically, but I do remember when I was diagnosed, feeling this feeling of like before that happened, there was like a. Uh, synchronicity in, like, the universe, that, like, something is protecting you, that, like, things will go right. And then when this happened, for no reason, out of nowhere, with no genetic, like, nothing leading to it, it just felt like now I'm staring into a void where, like, anything can happen. And, like, I Mm -hmm. could, like... I could walk into the street and get hit by a car like there was just danger everywhere. (laughs) Yes, I relate to that big time.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Now I'm thinking worst case scenario because I'm like worst case scenario is on the table.
2: Yeah, exactly. You're like, oh, well, I guess there isn't just like this divine magic that's like keeping us all protected. It's like anything can literally happen to you at any time.
1: And to have to deal with something already so young in our lives and knowing adversity gets bit more common as you get older. I'm like, on one hand, I'm like, okay, maybe I have the tools to cope at such a young age and I'm lucky in that way. But two, I'm just like, if something else tragic were to happen in my life, like let's say something happened to my son or my partner or you like something like it's not, it's time, you know, I'm like, I think that would actually break me because I'm like, I can't deal with another life's traumatic event at this point. Yeah. And I know it's, I know it's going to happen because that's what happens when you get older, but I'm like, yeah, I've dealt with too
2: much already. I'm like, I should be done for the rest of my life. (laughs) Well, you start to think too about like, it made me start to think about my parents and how just the fact of having me and my brother and seeing us grow up healthy to be like 30 years old is like such a blessing Mm -hmm. like that with nothing going wrong and us just being a family is like that simple thing is just huge. Like it's actually huge. Yeah. It's such a blessing, but not having gone through this, people probably just think like, well, that's
1: normal. Like (laughs) exactly. Yeah. (laughs) That's the expected. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I know. I need to train my brain to think that way (laughs) that like, nothing's going to happen to my son. He's going to be fine. He's healthy, (laughs) but yeah, (laughs) it's frustrating.
0: I think um, what you're saying, I think a lot of people
1: feel that too, if they
0: lose somebody very young, <clears throat> whether it's a friend or a partner or a family or anything, if you lose somebody when you're very young, that same exact thought happens of like anything bad can happen at any point. And I think it's just like the the shock, it almost creates like a post-traumatic stress in the exact way that you're explaining it, that it's like now anything can happen. And now you're this like raw nerve walking around and then you then i start to think like so many people are walking around like that and they have lost people young they have gone through tragedy young and it's just, you know, life just gets a little heavy when you think about it that way. <laughs>
1: mm-hmm. Oh, it does. To be honest, I, I I thought the opposite when my friend passed away. And then when her mom got brain cancer, I was just like, well, this is getting a little crazy. But I still thought I was like, this is too much. There's no way something else bad could happen. You kind of almost think like you're in the clear, almost the opposite effect. Mm. And then when I got cancer, I was like, okay, everything's on the table. Like, yes, I will get hit by a car tomorrow. Like that's... Yeah. Or
0: <laughs> let me introduce this to you. Okay. I'm open. Hopefully it's like uh things happen in threes and now you're done. Ah,
1: love that. <laughs> Let's hope for that one. Yes.
2: <laughs> <laughs> I'll take
1: it. <laughs>
0: um, but just to kind of bring us back a little bit. So um, after you had the surgery, that's really the point at which they can really know what's going on. Correct.
1: That's right. Yeah. So it's called a pathology report. So it, I forget how long it took probably felt like a lifetime, but it was probably only a few days and they just tell you what they got. So a key thing in surgery for maybe just all tumors, but breast cancer, obviously, is it's called, um, did you get clean margins? So that's the first thing. Clean margins just means that the doctors take um, amount of tissue around the tumor so that they can test that tissue and see if there's any cancer cells in that tissue. Um, And if there isn't, then they say, okay, you had clean margins. And clean margins um, is different per doctor, so doctors can get comfortable with a certain um, thickness of clean margins. So let's say there was a cancer cell um, in part of the the clean what they thought was clean tissue, they'll be like, okay, there's X amount of of clear tissue, we're good with that. And some doctors are a little more comfortable with less than, and others mm. want more. So my doctor actually got pretty comfortable with a pretty thin clean margin for me. And the reason why is because it pretty much went to my chest wall. So she's like, I actually don't think I could have taken more tissue. So if she hadn't told me that context. I probably would have been nervous, but she did. So I was like, okay. And she was very renowned uh, for her work. So I trusted her. Um, so they got clean margins to their definition. So that was huge. Because sometimes what can happen is they may not get clean margins and they have to go back in and do it again. So that was a win. Um A loss for me in my report was that I had what's called grade three. So you have your stage and then you have your grade. And I don't know much about it, but basically your grade means how complex the cells are, I guess. So mine were the most complex because it goes from one to three. And that just means it's more aggressive. And then the third thing that was a win for me, though, was my lymph nodes were clear. Because what they do, this this part's actually really interesting. So what they do is they, before the surgery, they inject a dye into your lymph nodes and they take out... Um, actually, sorry, they inject it in your breast. And the idea is that the dye drains from your breast and all toxins and, or whatever drain from your breast and go into your lymph nodes first. And then they go throughout the rest of your body. And so the idea is that the dye goes to your lymph nodes and they can see what drains from the breast first. So they take those lymph nodes out because they're like, okay, the dye got to these five lymph nodes. We'll take those out. Because if the cancer were to go anywhere, they'd go to those five first. And so they take those out. Um, and actually this is goes back to the whole like I can't believe they did that back in the day. But back in the day they didn't have this technology. So they took out all of your lymph nodes. Oh my god. (laughs) And you have like something crazy, like 10 to 20 lymph nodes all in this region. Oh my god. And it can be so detrimental to you. Like you can have like um I forget what it's called when your arm gets all Uh, swollen. Lymphedemia. Lymphedemia. Yeah. yeah. So so many bad side effects. Mm -hmm. But anyways, um they have this technology now with the dye. So I got the lymph nodes taken out and thankfully there was no cancer in the lymph nodes. So that was that was actually a huge win because at the time I didn't realize how um, impactful having the cancer in your lymph nodes means. If you have cancer in your lymph nodes, that impacts your rate of survival so much. Um, it can mean like a reoccurrence rate of like much, much more percentages than if you don't have them in your lymph nodes. So that was a huge win. Um, and then because it was what they determined to be stage two, because of the, um, I think the the width of the tumor, and then grade three, they were like, you have to do chemo. Um, again, going back, I'm like, I can't believe they actually got me to believe I didn't have to do chemo. <laughs> Maybe they just were keeping my spirits high, which is a thing, you know, like if you keep your spirits high... You can you know get through a lot, so I'd, I'm not mad. But um, I had to do chemo after that. So, um, but one thing we we missed talking about is the fertility thing. I don't know if that's coming up, but the, I kind of skipped over that um, talking about like my surgery and stuff. Yeah, we
0: were going to talk about it when we hit chemo. So this okay. is perfect timing. Okay,
1: yeah. Perfect timing. <laughs> so I didn't know if I was going to have to do chemo first. So they got me into fertility discussions pretty early on. Oh, great which is great. And thankfully, I, I have heard stories where women don't even get the option to, like no one even talks to them about it, which is crazy. And it's way more common than you might think. But I lucked out in that I, a friend of a friend works in the breast clinic as a, one of the lead nurses. And so she introduced me to the idea like right early on. So I got into discussions with fertility because I thought I was going to have to dive right into chemo. And we talked to the fertility clinic, we got all the information, and this was a very traumatic experience that I went through because I was only three and a half years into my relationship, and you're diving into in vitro and frozen embryos and all this when you haven't even discussed having children. And what's so awful is that the decision of doing... So embryos... I, I don't know how much we you guys have talked about fertility on the podcast, but... Like embryos are significantly better than frozen eggs because there's structure to the frozen part of it. So the dethawing process is way better probability to get to a full term baby than an egg. So if you can do embryos, like that is the way to go. But then I have to then convince my partner to do an embryo when he's barely having conversations about kids. And now all of a sudden, the control of my future is in somebody else's hands. Like if he doesn't want to do it, that it could impact my whole future. That could impact my life. Mm -hmm. And that was a really scary thing to do. And I really resented him in that process because he didn't want to do embryos. Sorry, can you explain to me what's an embryo versus an egg? Okay, so what happens is... You're you're getting your eggs retrieved. That's the same across the two scenarios. One scenario, it's just egg retrieval, and the eggs are frozen, and then later down the road, you would de- thaw that egg, um, fertilize it with a sperm, and then that's when it would be created into an embryo. And an embryo is basically like a fertilized egg, so it's be- it has its full DNA, everything. It's basically like a, a baby, you
0: know. Okay, so you're also taking
1: sperm from him, and you're yes. literally. Like fresh egg, fresh sperm, create an embryo in the lab, and then that embryo is frozen. Okay. And in that process, they can weave out any genetic disorders. Like, let's say I had the genetic mutation of breast cancer. They can weave that out in the embryo. Like, there's so many things they can do. Mm -hmm. But, um, or you can do, yeah, so then you can do the eggs and freeze them. Um, Or you can do an embryo where he would have to agree. We would do it in the lab and then freeze those embryos. Um, but he didn't want to do it because he was like and, and now looking back, I totally respected his decision. But in, in the moment, I was so resentful. And that, that that word doesn't even like properly capture how I felt um that he made that decision. But it's such a big decision. Like you're freezing embryos, that's a crazy thing. And you have to sign it it all away. It was like these pages of like, if your partner dies or you die, you have to agree if they can use them or not use them. And there was all this like, it's biological matter. So it has all these additional things that there's risks and like, it gets heavy fast. And then on top of it, while an average person might want to freeze their eggs, they go through the process and then they recover and they have all the time in the world to feel better. I'm recovering barely and then diving into chemo. So I was just like, this is crazy. And I actually declined fertility, um, of freezing my eggs at the beginning. And I got a second win because they came at, after, and we're like, oh, we're going to do surgery first. And surgery, you have to heal before you start chemo because chemo stops your body from being able to function essentially. And so I got this incredible second chance to think about it. And I ended up doing it eventually and froze some eggs, but I wasn't going to do it at mm-hmm. first. And I know a lot of, I feel bad because a lot of women, like after the fact, are so frustrated and angry that they never got the opportunity to do it. But I actually declined it, the first option. And at the time that you declined it,
0: is this when you'd already talked to your partner about the embryo and then you just decided not to do it at all?
1: It it was more, I think the first time around, um, we didn't go down the road to that extent. I think it just kind of, I was starting to get very overwhelmed and I just didn't know how it was all going to unfold. So I just said, no, it was more the second time around where I, I got the opportunity where we actually went down those roads in more detail and he didn't want to do it. And then that's when things got rocky. Do you know why he didn't want to ultimately? I think it's just not how he pictured his life. Mm -hmm. I think he was like in the moment, very overwhelmed and thought I'm going to have a baby the natural way. And I didn't picture my life to have a baby in a, a lab. And I think it just really, the thought overwhelmed him. And then I, this point was kind of valid. He's just like, the doctors are telling you that your odds of conceiving naturally are actually pretty good. So he's like, "We're going to make these embryos, and what's going to happen to them? Like, are we just going to discard of them? Like, these could be our children too." And it just it gets complicated mm-hmm. when you think of it that way. So that was also his reason. Mm-hmm. But it was really hard to. so hard. I mean, now that I have a child, I'm insanely thankful. But let's say I couldn't, and I was like, Mark, this could be the end of us Mm -hmm. if I can't have a child of my own because you made this decision for me at this time it was so heavy and I was like this will I can guarantee you this decision right now will end us down the road because Mm -hmm. I I know I'm going to resent you and I, I think it was just too over each of our heads to just like think of ourselves in the future in that way Wow!
0: Yeah, and considering that you guys weren't even married, you were in a relationship. It's
1: just wild. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and I don't blame. Like the, to this day, like I was so caught up in the moment, and you're just dealing with so much stress. Like it's mm-hmm. wild. Now I, even if I couldn't conceive, I feel like I st- I would have a better head on my shoulders now to be like, it's not your fault. It was the universe's plan for me to have cancer and all this unfolded. Like it, I can't blame you for that. Mm-hmm. I think is how I would feel right now. But yeah, it's pretty crazy. Cause your, your life is so out of control. Like you have absolutely no control over your life. And so then to have someone make a decision that you could have some little piece of control and they have to make a decision to take that little control away from you. That was a really hard thing to deal with. It was probably the hardest thing I had to deal
2: with through the whole thing, was this whole fertility thing. So, sorry if I missed this, but did you end up freezing embryos? Eggs. Just eggs? Yeah. Okay. So, I froze eggs, and did you do fertility? I did. I I didn't have the option to do embryos because we found out in our fertility appointment um, that my partner actually Had some issues. Oh, because they get tested too. Yeah. Oh my God. They tested like both of us to just get our baseline. And, uh, They basically just determined that he had no actual sperm in his sample. So he had to do this whole year long testing process and found out that he does have sperm. He just has like a blockage. So he needs to get a surgery um, before he could like naturally conceive. But so we didn't have the option at that point to do embryos. So I did freeze just eggs. Okay. Wow. That's crazy. I know, which is a blessing in disguise because. If we just waited like naturally to have kids, we probably would have been like 34, 35, and then found that out and oh, then yeah. had to go through the whole process of dealing with it. So, knowing earlier was a little silver lining for us, for that sure. Yeah, it was a very heavy day when like we silver were. Silver like, lining now. Exactly, <laughs> yeah. Not then. In
1: There's the a moment, lot of, like, hindsight, silver lining. That's what we like to exactly. have the show in,
2: in hindsight. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. In the oh moment, it was God. a little dark, but it was yeah. actually the hardest thing that we dealt with too, just in a different way where like, it affected me more than the cancer for sure. Just like having that taken away from you without being able to make a decision and having to face that together, like literally within the first like 10 minutes of him telling me the results, we were like, well, we could like get a sperm donor. Like we can adopt. It's fine. (laughs) Like, Oh, you're thinking of all the options. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah.
1: Yeah. Well, as a little bit of a, a good story news. Yeah. Um, I did get pregnant naturally
2: and we amazing. got it on the first try. Wow. Really? Yeah. Wow. That's so, amazing. It can ah! happen. Yes. Nice. <laughs> That's what we're hoping for down the road. Yes. But um, I'm wondering if having a child, like how that all comes into play mentally and emotionally dealing with your diagnosis? I mean, being past it and like recovered, but still, how does that kind of affect you now after having a baby?
1: Yeah. I mean, well, so during the pregnancy, I'm just expecting so many things to go wrong, right? And I had a perfect pregnancy and he's perfectly healthy and all these things. And and I I just keep waiting for something to go wrong, I think, go, kind of going back to what we were talking about before. But I think what you're trying to get at is, like, how do I get these dark thoughts out of my head that, like, I'm not going to be there for him if something were to happen or, like, how I deal with it all. And truthfully, it's just too heavy to cloud my thoughts day to day. Like, I just have to let it go. Mm-hmm. And just, it's literally like a... Jesus take the wheel situation because it would just infiltrate my day today and that's no way to live in the present it's just kind of how i feel i know it's easier said than done but i think i just now that i'm 5 years down the road i do have a little more faith in the future i guess not that we can get into this but like not that 5 years means a ton based on my prognosis um but yeah, I mean, I I did make the mistake of watching the show, um, The Summer I Turned Pretty. I don't know if you've seen that. Don't watch it. <laughs> because, long story short, it's about two boys growing up with knowing their mom has terminal cancer and how it affects them. And I was just like, damn, this is really heavy because this could be, you know, the future of my son. And what could this do to his life and how he gets through his life? Because sometimes it can make them... They can be okay, and sometimes they can not be okay. And I'm like, to inflict that on him is really heavy. So, I just don't go down that road of thinking. What on earth
0: possessed mm. you to watch this movie?
1: Someone <laughs> said it was, like, lighthearted and fun. Oh, it's a what? show. Oh, no. It, it is, but, like, not for someone that has gone through cancer
2: and could see their future. Yeah. Yeah. It's It's weird because, like, I don't have kids yet, but that is, like, the only thing now that will set me off – with anything to do with cancer. Like, I feel like I can, I'm pretty emotionally sound to deal with everything else. But if I see a movie where it's like young kids having to deal with their mother. Oh, and it's always breast cancer. Yeah, always. And they're always my just like bald time. in bed and like their kids are like sitting beside them, like crying. And I'm like, yeah, I can't, this is, this will kill me. Can like, you
0: yeah, both need to watch better movies? <laughs> I
1: know, <laughs> but it, it, it comes out of nowhere. Yes. Yes. It's like so-and-so has cancer and you're just like in my head i'm like let me guess breast cancer it's almost a trope at this point like it really is (laughs) always yeah and it's always like worst case scenario too it's not like a good story obviously because they need character building so it's always the worst story and you're like cool can people stop dying of breast cancer
0: like that'd be
2: that'd be great (laughs) exactly i agree (laughs) yeah
0: (laughs) didn't they just um announce that there was a vaccine that was created for her too did they? Yeah, there's a vaccine that had just passed human um, testing, like wow. a human testing phase. And I believe it's for HER2. And the only reason I noticed is because you've taught me what HER2 means. So they have a vaccine and it has passed the first round of human testing. Wow. Which if it passes, I think there's one more round, obviously becomes like revolutionary because it's a vaccine you can take. That is crazy. Mm-hmm. So I mean, I'm also just excited for all the progress that can be made, you know? And like you guys, of course, for very good reason are thinking very far down the road, but like do you infuse those thoughts also with all the progress that could be made with the healthcare sector? And like, what if in two years' time you guys can just get a vaccine and
1: your thoughts and worries can kind of just yeah. go aside a little bit, you know? I'd be I mean, I mean I I'd hope that there wouldn't be a differentiation between those that have already had it versus those that haven't. That's mm-hmm. the one I always worry about. Um, yeah, I know. I I always hope that the future has like good progress, but then you hear these stories of like however long that your study was and they remove one day of ra- radiation, like things take yeah, so long. Yeah, they take so long. Yeah. And actually I think just in the last couple of years, um, one of the drugs I take daily, there was a study on it of like, should young women be on it for five or 10 years? And I think it just concluded that it's definitely 10 years. Mm-hmm. So there's that, but like you start to realize how slow things are, which is frustrating.
0: Yeah. To bring us back again, because I do also want to discuss like what drugs you are on right now and like why that is um, So you had chemo and how long did that last? And what was that process like?
1: So I did eight rounds. Mm -hmm. Oh, so every two weeks I would do a session. So I think it ended up being about four months. And I did um, four rounds of one drug and four rounds of a second drug. The first drug was terrible. It basically felt
2: like, I think we did the same first eight rounds. Then you did additional rounds. Is that right? Um no mine was a little weird it was like 12 rounds um but i would do herceptin every so mine was weekly and i was doing taxol and then like every week and then i was doing herceptin for her 2 every 3 weeks so okay. like at the same time did you ever do ac no oh. mine was a little bit lighter okay of a, of ac a, was the worst they call it the red devil mm-hmm. because it's red
1: and it's so toxic that the women um giving it to me had to wear like full masks before COVID. So I'm sure during COVID they did this, but like before COVID they wore full masks, like gloves, everything. Cause if it got on your skin, it would literally burn your skin. Yet they're putting it in my (laughs) veins and it would be the, this fat tube and they would just inject it. So I saw the retina. It was weird. So like when they put the IVs in you, they don't put it in the typical spot here. They find weird spots on your arm. So like I would have it like right here or like right here. one like when- just for context, like around your wrist almost. Almost. Like it would be like down my arm. Like they'd find a vein and put it in here. Mm-hmm. I don't really know why. But they would switch each time because they didn't want to put it in twice in a row because it was so toxic. So they'd find a different vein on my other arm. Um, and the second it would go through, you taste it. Like you taste it in your mouth. Whoa. Yeah. And I still remember the taste to this day. And sometimes it's kind of like a metallic, metallic taste, metallic sour taste, if that makes sense. And every so often I'll get like a weird, I'll get it in my mouth from something and I'll just like shiver. Like, it's just so, ugh, it's terrible. But anytime you get an IV, um, anytime you get really anything going through your veins, you taste it. You find that too? Yeah. Yeah, it's like immediate. That's and I just so dread it. Like I know. Like I got I got an IV when I was in um in labor and I just had PTSD of like <laughs> tasting it. It's just it's terrible. But this one was just so god awful and then you feel like you're hungover for probably like 4 days after it. Like you kind of are like a little dizzy. You can't see straight. You're nauseous. This is the one that's like makes you nauseous when you hear the typical cancer story of them throwing up like this is that. Whereas like I got pre-meds so I would have to take before every session that would help with my nausea. But basically it would feel like gut rot, like like um, when you smoke marijuana you get that like pit in your stomach of when you're really, really hungry. That's what it would feel like. Except probably 10 times stronger. And then you just feel like so out of it, like basically, like a hangover is how I would describe it, yeah, and then the second drug was for another four rounds, and that was the taxol, so I did that one, and that was that one didn't have any nausea or hungover feeling, it was just body pain, yeah, like just think of like having a full body bruise, like it just anywhere you touch, just hurt, yeah, and that was fun. <laughs>
2: I just remember feeling, like, very heavy. Like, I would, like, sit on the bed and literally yes. feel like I was, like, stuck. Yep. But did you get the shot
1: every two – I forget what it's called, but it basically would help boost your immune system?
2: No. Oh, what was it called? I remember hearing about it, but I don't remember what it's called either. Yeah. So, I got it after each round.
1: Um, and it's, some, it's crazy. It's, like, $3,000 a shot. But oh my OHIP
0: covers it. We did hear somebody else doing it because they kept getting chemo fevers and
1: getting sick. Okay, yes. So, yeah. Yes, Mm -hmm. that was it. And that caused a lot of tenderness. So, it would would make my bones hurt. Because basically, it's telling your body to produce white blood cells. Mm -hmm. Um, And so, it got into your, um, what do you call it, Um, bone marrow. So, your joints would hurt. Um, So, that that was also on top of all the pain of like taxol and stuff, which is a lot. But then it was so weird. Cause like, it would be like three or four days of shit we were on the couch and you, and the, oh my God, the migraines, I had terrible migraines where I couldn't even listen, watch, do anything. It was so bad. So you're in this terrible state. And then on day five, it's all gone. And you're like, I feel great. I would go for (laughs) bike rides. I would like go out with friends. I would like have so much fun. And then you get the next round and you're shit for like four to five days. And then you're back up again. Like you go from zero to a hundred so fast. And that was just so taxing (laughs) because you're doing this for four months straight, knowing what you're getting into every single round. Did you ever have to miss a round because your like white blood cells were too low? So he didn't, but almost had to miss around because um, Taxol, I started popping Tylenol because so I was like, oh, I'll just take Tylenol um, and it'll take the pain away. But then what I didn't appreciate is that Taxol is really hard on your liver because it gets processed and metabolized through your liver, but so does Tylenol. So all of a sudden I got my blood work done and the my liver, I don't know what is measured there, but they, they measure the toxicity of your liver. It was really high. And my oncologist was like, if it's, if it was this much higher, you would have had to miss around. And I was like, shit, I can't take Tylenol anymore. So then he's like, well, take coding because coding's not processed through your liver. Biggest mistake of my life. Co- I don't do well with coding, I guess. And I just vom-
2: like, felt like I had to vomit the whole time oh, on no. top of all
1: the pain of Taxol. <laughs>
2: oh my God. Big mistake. Yeah. <laughs> You're trying to help yourself and it just like makes things way worse. Yeah. Yeah. That's horrible. And I got huge fainting spells with taxol. I don't know if you dealt with that. Um I was very dizzy, especially in the shower. I just remember being in the shower and like all like feeling like I was going to pass out every time I took a shower. For yep. sure. Walking around like super lightheaded all the time.
1: Yeah, I I I actually did faint and it was a terrible experience um because I was on Queen West downtown Toronto. Oh no. And I fainted And the second you say cancer to anyone, even in the paramedic or, like, healthcare world, everyone gets panicked. Because if you don't work in the cancer ward or whatever, like, you heard cancer and you're just like, oh, my God, we got to do everything under the sun and, like, all the tests and, like, all this. So, the ambulance came because my poor partner... What's he going to do? Like, I'm passed out. For all he knows, I'm dying. So then, and I'm wearing my head wrap, too, because I'd lost my hair at that point. So the paramedics come, and they park their ambulance on Queen West. And it's May-long weekend, so it is flooded with people. And they put me on the stretcher, and they wheel me on the stretcher with my head, because my head wrap is off at this point, because I was overheated, so they took it off. And my hair is, like, all patchy. And they're wheeling me down on a stretcher on Queen West to get me into the ambulance. And I literally couldn't look at anyone. I just looked at the ground. I was like, this is humiliating. I just passed out. I was like, I can walk at this point. But they're like, no, no, no we got to strap you in. And like, you get to the hospital and everyone's on like hiatus. And they're like, okay, we need to do a CT scan because it could be like a blood clot in your lung. And I was just like, I honestly think I just fainted. Like, I really <laughs> yes. think I'm fine. And, that and was, that's what it was. It was just, uh, yes. you just fainted. Yeah. <laughs> Yes.
2: So, yeah. Don't say the word cancer unless you want, like, the white glove treatment. <laughs> it's true. I had a, an allergic asthma attack last year where I had to go to the hospital. And I told them, well, I guess they just knew my history because it was, like, in my files or whatever. And same thing, I had to get a CT scan because oh they God. thought it was a blood clot. Which
1: isn't good because CT <laughs> yeah. scan is an unnecessary amount of radiation in your body because they yeah. have to put um, a dye through you to do the scan properly. Yeah. I've had so many CT scans. I'm like, this can't be good for me. You I can't know. just like throw them out, like give them out like candy. Yeah. <laughs> if someone were to offer me a CT scan again, I'd, I'd be really questioning it. I'd be like, I really, really don't think I need this. <laughs>
2: yeah. I just passed out. I swear. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, exactly. Ugh, yeah. That that was uh, a really low point in my cancer or the chemo journey. Yeah. I mean, that's, that would be, um not, it would not make you feel good for sure. Yeah. Being exposed like that, like against your will. Yeah. Against my will. Yeah. yeah. At the other
1: time was I, well, this was my fault. I wanted to meet my friend for lunch and I think I was on like day four thinking like I would have recovered by then. And it was a really, really hot day and I met her for lunch on a patio, but I was just like, I'm getting outside, I'm doing it. And I basically almost passed out and I had to... It was stairs to go up the patio. Again, worst decision ever. Like walking upstairs on the hottest day... And I had to lie in the stairwell on the ground because I literally <laughs> couldn't move. And people were going up to the patio to meet their friends and I had to walk over me oh my God, to oh get God. up there. I was like, this is in this, why is this my life? Yeah. Like you're asking a, qu- a question at that moment. You're like, why
2: is this my life? <laughs> but that was very self induced. Yeah. Uh, well you're, you were trying. You know? I was trying. Yeah. 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 <laughs> trying to make the most of it. Yeah. Uh, how was your mental state going through chemo? You know what? It was pretty good, I would say. Um, losing my hair
1: sucked because, like, there's no way to, there's no silver lining. There's no way to spin it. And I actually thought about doing the cold cap thing, but I just, I was like, just my luck. It won't work on me and I'll have patchy hair and I'll have gone through this whole thing and it's just been a failure. So I just decided to cut it all off. And my hair, I actually have really curly hair naturally. And it's just been such a staple of my identity and personality. And so that was like so awful. That was the biggest thing. And there's nothing that can help you with that. Oddly enough, I hated wigs. I never wore one. I bought one and I spent all this time and money getting one. And I never wore it. I wore these really colorful head wraps and I loved them. But like I have also so tangent, but so much appreciation for people with alopecia. Oh, my heart goes out to them because at least I knew my hair was growing back, whereas theirs isn't. Mm -hmm. And I got mistaken for alopecia so many times and I'd never really thought about it before, but yeah, it's, it's nice to know it's growing back. So that I guess would have been You know, the silver lining of it all, if you start to have perspective. But, yeah, that was really hard to look at yourself in the mirror and just, like, not recognize, especially when the eyelashes went and the eyebrows. The eyelashes were the worst. Because at least if you put a wig on, you can look like yourself. But, like... Something about those lower eyelashes, like, at least you can glue on the top layer, but the lower ones, like, you can't do much about that. No, it'll just look crazy if you try to put fake eyelashes down there. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so that was frustrating. Um, but otherwise, like, getting through it mentally was really good because I just had a really amazing support group of friends who really pulled up their socks, having had gone it through it already with our other friend, um... And they just kind of knew what to do, what to say, and that made it a lot better. Whereas like, I think, I mean, who knows, like everyone has a different experience and different people in their lives to help them. But I think it'd be really hard to know what kind of support you needed and to not so much ask that because you're not going to ask that from someone, but then get that from people. And I'm sure you have a laundry list of what you discovered of what people have said to you and what worked and what didn't, what you didn't appreciate and what was very common and what people would say that you have views on but I got a lot of like oh what can I do to help or let me know what I can help you with or let me know if I can bring you anything or call me if you need me which were the I know it's coming from a place in their heart but like it's the most emptiest unhelpful things you could possibly say to
2: someone so I got a lot of that from people you don't expect because it's kind of putting it on you. It's like, you know, taking the
1: burden off of them and putting it on you. It's just
2: a thing to like, make them feel like, Oh, I did something. Like I reached out, I did my part.
1: And maybe that's not even going, like, I want to give them the benefit of the doubt. That's not going through their head, but that is the crux of it. Yeah. Right. Subconsciously. Mm -hmm. So the support came from sometimes people, I didn't expect it the most. Um, I got the most support from those people. And some of the people you would have thought would have been more prominent weren't. And then you also start to realize what kind of support you need. And it's maybe not the support you thought you needed. And then it gives you this whole perspective of what is support for grief. And it has totally changed my perspective of how to help someone through something. It's for some reason we're ingrained and maybe it's social socially. We're ingrained this way of like what we think people need in times of grief and suffering. And it's always like this immediate need to make them feel better. But sometimes you just life just fucking sucks (laughs) and you just want to be heard and understood and validated that your life just sucks right now and you don't need to make it better. It, doesn't need to be better it just needs to be heard that it sucks and those were the people that i leaned
2: on yeah that was exactly like my experience it was just someone acknowledging that like you're going i'm going through something shitty like yeah i don't need anyone to solve the problem there's like nothing to solve that was actually the biggest point of contention with me and my partner because i went through a period where i was in like extreme discomfort and pain for like months due to a combination of many things chemo and hormone drugs and everything and he couldn't like he couldn't just like acknowledge that I was going through something horrible like he had to either solve the problem or just get frustrated like mm. and and that was definitely a big takeaway is that like in those moments all I wanted was for someone to be like yes like you're it's you're not delusional <laughs> it's not in your head you know I acknowledge that something is going on here and that what you're experiencing sucks that's huge. Yes. But coming from someone who
1: doesn't have cancer and like, let's say you're texting your friend and you're like, oh man, today sucks. Like this drug is really getting me. And then your friend who hasn't dealt with anything like to say back, yeah, does that really sucks. Like that is, that's a really hard thing for them to say because they're like, how dare I say that back to her, you know? But that's what you need to hear. So it's like, why is it so hard to give that back to someone? And it's really changed the way I've Dealt with things since. But those were the moments where I just wanted someone to say that back to me instead of like, well, at least this, or at least you have, you're halfway. And you're like, I freaking know I'm halfway. I know the facts. I know this. I,
2: you know, I just want you to say, like, yeah you're You're in the trenches, like I think it's like we just have a toxic positivity thing in our yeah. culture where it's like we always feel that have to feel the need to like encourage someone when like maybe you don't need encouragement exactly yeah, yeah it's it's just like you know you can you can cry,
1: I'll be there, I'll just sit here while you cry. I don't need to tell you the the you know at least statement or their perspective, or you know, yeah exactly but that uh and it's it's. Some people have it naturally and some people need to learn it. So I never gave anyone a hard time, even though it was hard to receive the support that I didn't need. But I never gave anyone a hard time because I knew that it's a hard thing to comprehend. So,
0: yeah. Yeah, I think the natural thought process is to be like, how can I be like a positive addition to your life? And to think that that could happen through you acknowledging the negative is a very hard, like... That's a good way to put it. It's like an obstacle course to have to... It's counterintuitive. Yeah, exactly. It is counterintuitive. So it's really important to be able to hear people actually say, like, this is what I need. Mm -hmm. Um, And a lot of the time that is done in hindsight, because it takes going through it to understand and then be able to vocalize.
1: Yeah. Another thing I learned through this is like always send the message. Always send the message. It's like if you, you're you hesitant and maybe it's a friend of a friend or maybe it's someone you lost touch with or maybe it's someone you don't talk to every day but you feel it's invasive if you were to message them, always send the message. I think you've got nothing to lose. Let's say they're not into it and like this is such a an an uh, unlikely situation where they're gonna read it and be like, I can't believe she messaged me this. Like it's you know, it's she you, it. you overstepped your boundaries. <laughs> Very unlikely. I just think like I got so many messages from so many areas of my life. Like people I literally hadn't talked to for like 15 years from high school reached out to me. And they'd always start off being like, I didn't I wasn't gonna message you, but I just felt compelled to and I just wanna say this, blah, 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 blah. And it just made my day. Like, I just can't express like how thoughtful those were. And I can only imagine how big of a move that was for them to like open this path of communication that has been closed for like 15 years. That's pretty crazy. And so I think like going forward, I've taken that on of like, I pause. I'm like, no, I'm going to send the message. Like, I know I appreciated it.
2: So that's really opened my eyes up to that type of support too. I think it is a really hard thing to do sometimes, like just making that first move and, and, uh, even my so my cousin is dealing with cancer right now he has been for a couple years and i even remember i was going through my own diagnosis and and treatment. And it was like so I could relate. Like I had things that I could say to him that I could kind of understand at least a little bit of what he was going through. And it was hard for me to like reach out. I hadn't we didn't have a close relationship. I didn't talk to him that often. But it was like, I don't know. It's 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 a nerve wracking. And I don't know why. Because I think it's not often that someone is going to give you a bad reaction back, but mm-hmm. I don't know. I know it. It really messes with you
1: mentally. Now it does change a beat in the sense that, like, when I find out someone else has had breast cancer, I actually debate reaching out to them only for me because I'm like, do I want to open this door? Do I want to go down this road? Like, I know there's this is kind of a different conversation, but I know there's some people that have kept it alive. Like they want to help others with it, which I think is very valiant and like keeping their Instagrams very like current, even though they're like five years down the road in their recovery. For me, I'm just like, close the book. Like I'm moving on and to open the book, like even coming here, I was so anxious. Cause I'm like, I haven't opened this book in a really long time to this extent. And I think that's just how I've just coped. Um, in a way, um, And I sometimes I'm like, oh, do I really want to open the door with this person on this cancer discussion? Because like speaking the same language of cancer is good and bad because you're like, I don't like I don't like that you and I have this language that we can communicate on because I don't like it for you. And I don't like it for me because we shouldn't have to deal with it. And it gives me these like negative vibes. Um, But. Yeah, I, I think it's good to talk about it, but sometimes I don't reach out for that reason.
2: Yeah, no, that yeah. totally makes sense. And I think, I mean, it's just so personal. I I can definitely relate. I mean, I, I always go back and forth. I've done, I think when I was going through everything, talking about it a lot really helped me because it was just like getting it out. Like, I just needed to like get it out, put it on social media, like whatever, then I'm not thinking about it. But definitely as time goes by, I think... I almost have like a little bit of like a superstition thing. I'm like am I if same. I'm talking about it all the time, if and I'm thinking it about it, exactly. Yeah. Like is it going to is that going to like, you know, make it come back, which seems ridiculous, but I don't know. It's definitely a thing. Yeah, I feel the same way. Yeah. Yeah. But here we are. <laughs> <laughs> and I'll be talking about it for a while, but you know, but I think it's it's all just about um knowing your boundaries and knowing your limits too and and mm-hmm um, you know, keeping it in moderation and yep. whatever works for you. If it's like a zero thing and you just want to like move on, I think, you know, yeah, it's just yeah. very personal, but I was the same way though. Like being open about it.
1: I, it took me a month to do it, but it was that month was so hard because you're trying to pretend to be the person you are around other people. Cause you don't want to be at a party and then someone reads you like something's up and they're like, oh, what's up? You you seem off. And you don't want to be like, I have cancer in that moment. And so then your, your other option is to lie. And lying is so heavy in that moment because you're like, I'm actually dealing with something mm-hmm. and I don't want to talk about it. And then you're just putting up, you're just using every energy in your whole body to just be this person that everyone thinks you are, yet hiding this other part of you. And it was just so exhausting mentally, physically, emotionally. And so I just was like, I'm just going to put it out there because I just need this, this feeling off of me so that I can just live this new life that I have here. Cause it's going to take my energy and I can't be putting energy to to like covering myself up. It's kind of how I thought about it. And it, oh my God, that relief I got from telling everybody was amazing.
2: Yeah, I totally agree. Therapeutic even. Yeah, yeah, Yeah. exactly. And it was, I mean, social media was also great because I didn't have to tell people things over and over again. I could just like make a post and then people kind of would have an update and there it is, one and done, you know? Yeah. Um, Yeah. That was helpful for sure because then you don't
1: have to be exhaustingly telling everyone. Mm Yeah. 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 Did you find this is kind of a a side comment, but like, did you find that even though you were pretty like explanatory in your posts? people would still like mix up radiation and chemo. And then you're just like, how do you mix that up? Like it's, uh, and I, I would just get like infuriated that they could do that. I'm like the luxury of like <laughs> ignorance is bliss, right? Like yes. the luxury of being able to mix up those two things. I'm jealous.
2: <laughs> yeah, to you, it just becomes so like, you know everything and it's just like your day-to-day. Yeah. And then you realize that there's this disconnect. Yes. And you're like, Ugh, yeah, I know. why am I on this side of it? I wish I could be confused <laughs> it, between those two. Things exactly, yeah,
1: <laughs> but I don't blame
2: them. I would be too. I don't know what I didn't know what they were, yeah, yeah. Speaking of radiation, so how did that happen? So you finished chemo, and then um, was there a, a, a big wait in between? Did you know when you were doing chemo that you'd have to do radiation, or did it come after? So I had to do radiation because, um, well, this is
1: what they told me, so it could be different for you. But because I did a lumpectomy, they were like, you have to do radiation. Whereas they were like, if you did a mastectomy, there's a good chance you may not have to. So I knew going into all of it that I'd have to do that after I had the lumpectomy. Um, and then you ha- they had to let me heal after chemo to then do the radiation sorry, not heal, but like allow my body to basically get back up to neutral and then do the radiation because it, it does like harm you. Um, so I got, I think it was like three or four weeks break, um, between the two and radiation was weird. Did you have radiation? Yeah. I did. Yeah. Mm-hmm. The whole breathing, holding your breath thing. Did you do that?
2: I can't remember. I feel like, like you would remember if you I did. feel like I've blocked it out. I, I just remember it being so fast. Like, that's the main thing I remember about it. Okay.
1: So, or it could be just, like, where my lump was and, like, that's why I had to do this breathing thing. But, like, they connected me to this um this hose. Oh, no, I didn't do that. Okay, okay. <laughs> so, I guess what it must have just been where my lump was. So, they have this technology where well, – no, it's not technology, but it's just, like – um. Radiation causes scar tissue, and so they want to keep it as far away from your organs as possible. And so because of where your breast is, there's no way to keep it away from your lungs because of how close the two are, but there is a way to make it further away from your heart. And so to do that, they make you take a huge deep breath in to expand your lungs and push the heart back, and then they can do the radiation for however long. It, I think it was like 20 to 30 seconds, but I had to hold my breath the whole time. And not only that, but they had to ensure I was holding my breath the whole time. So they had a whole thing on me and they would literally suction it so that I couldn't breathe even even if I wanted to. Oh
2: my God. Like
1: talk about claustrophobia. I was going to say, I feel like
0: mentally that would just make it so hard. It was nuts.
2: Like
1: I'm good at holding my breath. So I felt okay doing it. And they did a trial run first. They were like, just so you know, this is gonna be it. So we're gonna let you try it out first before you go in and do it. And they put it on and they're like, Take, take the deepest breath possible. And I'm like, oh, and then it suctions. is like, and then you can't breathe. Oh my god. For the 30 seconds. Yeah. I had an emergency button that I could have pressed. But if you press that then it messes up the whole thing. So like you don't have to do, do that it again. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and you have to do this every single day for twenty days. And so I'd go in, hold my breath, and like I'm just like, Yeah, you're looking at the ceiling, like counting down the seconds until it's over. And I think I think it was like thirty seconds
2: at least that I had yeah, to do that. That makes sense. Which that's, is a really long that's time. It's a very period. long time to hold your breath. Yeah. You must be good at like swimming now, I'm a swimmer, so you- which oh is really, like, yeah, <laughs> well, that's good, yeah, yeah, but, um, yeah, that was crazy. um, it must have been because yours was on the side of your heart, oh maybe mine yeah, was yeah. on the other side, so oh, that makes sense, yeah, yeah, yeah. interesting, I'm- but I, I haven't heard of that before, yeah, well, I hadn't either, yeah. I had no idea I was getting into that. It was really weird,, <laughs> yeah. wow, yeah, <laughs> did you feel any side effects from radiation, oh, yeah, 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 yeah. um. It got really bad, like, Mm. near the end. How many days did you have to do? I think I did 20 20 or 21. Now I don't know. Now I want to, like, look (laughs) back and know how many I did. But it was, like, a month. Okay. Yeah. Yeah.
1: And, uh, yeah, mine mine got, like, super bad. Like, very painful. Yeah.
0: What are radiation? Because I would have assumed that radiation would be like lighter than chemo. But I guess, no, there's also side effects. I
1: wouldn't say lighter. I would just say different. Mm -hmm. So chemo basically like stops your cells from dividing, which essentially is cancer. But it stops all your cells from dividing. So that's why you lose your hair. And that's why like your body just goes into this like immune compromise Mm -hmm. scenario. Whereas radiation is basically like like think of like the sun, like the rays, like it's burning your skin. Mm. So we had 20 rounds, whereas like the first 10 things were relatively fine, but it's all compounding. It's basically like, let's say you got a sunburn today and you went out in the sun tomorrow, it just gets worse and worse. Mm -hmm. But then the worst part is, is that they want it to be um, effective. So they say, you cannot use any vitamins. You cannot take any vitamins. You cannot help your skin essentially to heal other than just very generic stuff. Like basically moisturizer that has no vitamins in it. You can put salt water on it to help it not get infected, but otherwise like you cannot help it heal. Does the skin actually burn like for, oh, it's actually like red. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So picture like the worst sunburn and then times it by like five. Is what it felt like. Okay. I didn't yeah. understand that that's what radiation was. Okay. Yeah. Um, and yeah, it gets very painful. <laughs> but I don't know what's worse. I don't know. There's just different. Did you use anything for like your skin? I put gauze on it. And then what I would do is I would make my own like saline solution and like um, mason jars. And I would boil it so that it was like sterile and then put the salt in. And then... Two or three times a day, I would basically go into the bathtub, put the gauze on, and I'd just pour the saline solution on it and then put the gauze back on, like, dry gauze. Yeah. But I was going to work at the time. Like, I'd gone back to work. And so I'm just, like, sitting in there with, like, so much tenderness and pain, like, going about my day. That was the hard part is, like, just the aftermath of, like, dealing with your day-to-day but then also dealing with the cancer still
2: and, Mm -hmm. you know. Yeah. Yeah. Trying to get back into it.
0: Yeah. Yeah. At what point did you have to also start taking medication for it? Were you taking medication throughout?
1: No. So my medication, because I was hormone positive, started after Mm – actually, I think I was taking it while I was doing radiation. Um. And so I started taking a daily pill and then I did a monthly, I was doing a monthly injection. So Mm -hmm. the daily pill is basically to tell my body to not look for estrogen. Mm -hmm. So basically like telling the cells to turn off their receptors for estrogen so that no estrogen is flowing through my body. And then the second is a shot I have to take monthly that basically shuts down my ovaries because... There's different types of estrogen in your body, but one of the strongest types of estrogen is when you ovulate every month. And so that stopped me from ovulating. But that did you have do you have to do the shot?
2: <laughs> yeah. So I did it in a little bit of a different context, but okay. yes. And that it's no joke. This it, shot, like the needle
1: is as thick as like a small pen. It's so bad, oh my god. and I put it in my stomach. And so yeah, when COVID, I so I got it done at the hospital yeah. for like, but the first two years, and then COVID happened. I had to start giving it to myself.
2: Oh my god! Uh.
1: And I, I, I st- like, I don't have to take it. I think I might have to start taking it in a couple months. But like, I haven't taken it in a while, and now I'm like, how am I going to? How am I going to do that again? Like, I don't even know how <sighs> I did it. You're basically stabbing yourself. Yeah, with an, with and it a, hurts. It hurts a lot. Yeah, although. Funny enough, when I got it done to me, it hurt more than me doing it to myself. That's interesting.
2: Then maybe you should give it to yourself. Yeah. Where
1: <laughs> are you injecting? So, right below the belly button. So, oh my. Yeah.
2: Okay. It's already super sensitive.
1: <laughs> You're like just getting smaller, like, <laughs> like bleeds every time because it's, it's a huge needle. Mm-hmm. It's crazy.
0: <laughs> How could you be expected to give that to yourself?
1: Well, I probably could have arranged something, but it was COVID. So, like, yeah. how am I going to get a doctor to do that to me on a
2: monthly basis when COVID was happening? Yeah. Right? And it's a, a lot more convenient to be able to just stay at home and, yeah. and do it not have to go every time. Exactly. So, I just, yeah,
1: I dreaded it every time, but I got it done and, yeah. How were the side effects of your medications? So, at the beginning, I felt a lot of things, um, and I thought they were there to stay and I was really terrified and, but they went away, but then, and I didn't get hot flashes for quite a while mm-hmm. up until maybe like six months in. And then they came with a vengeance. Like I, we get hot flashes probably once every hour or two hours, 24 seven. And it would like hot flashes are a very complex thing. Like they're not just like, oh, you feel hot and then you're not. Yes. It's like you're, it's like almost like a, a hormone drop in your body. So I would immediately feel just really shitty. Like think of what, how you feel when you feel like you have nothing to live for. You're just like, I have no purpose in my life. And you get that feeling for like 10 seconds and you're just, your mood just drops. And then all of a sudden you start to feel really like hot. Like you're just starting to heat up like a furnace and then e- you're sweating everywhere, like back of your neck, like your stomach, your back, your thigh, like everything's sweating. And then it goes, it subsides. And then you're all like wet because you've just <laughs> sweat through everything. <laughs> and then that's just like on cycle, like repeat. Yeah.
2: Yeah. That's a really interesting way to describe that, like, 10-second mood shift. Because for me, it was, like, I always felt like I was on the verge of having a panic attack. Yes. And, like, you can't breathe. And it took me a long time to pick up on it. Yes, to, like, realize that it's just the medication and that's part of the hot flash. Or that it was, like, the trigger. I'm like, oh, a hot flash is coming because I feel like the world is ending. (laughs) Yes, it's so weird. Yeah. (laughs) I know. I feel like the word hot flash is, like, not big enough to, like, actually explain what happens. No. Oh. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. When I went off my medication to get pregnant, it was such a relief to drop the hot flashes. Oh my God. It was so nice. I had really bad, like, um, night sweating. Like I had to, I bought Mm -hmm. like sweating sheets so that it like, I don't know, they like absorb better or supposed to like keep you cooler in the night or something, even though like the hot flashes aren't triggered by being cold, but yeah, but yeah, it was like really bad. I would just wake up and like my bed would just be like soaked, like wet. It's crazy. It's like you dump a glass of water on there. Like, I don't even know how this much water comes out of. Do you think you, you slept through your hot flashes
1: that's what happened. Cause I would get woken up almost every time. And I would just like flip my whole, like all the covers off of me. And then I'd get cold immediately after. And then I'd flip them back.
2: Like I would do that all night long. Like maybe you just slept through yours and then maybe. Cause I feel like I would just wake up and just be wet and then do the gun cover thing and then just get cold. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) It's impossible. Oh my God. Yeah.
0: (laughs) Um, Did you have to wait any specific period of time before you could get off the medication to try to get pregnant?
1: That's a good question. So I guess it's different with every doctor. But my doctor said minimum two years. And I did three. Um, mostly because of my own timeline. But also I think I think I would have pushed past like the minimum for sure. So I went off after pretty much exactly three years. So I felt good about that. And then you have to wait three months as what they call a wash period. And that really is for the daily pill that I have to take that stops my body from like um, looking for estrogen. Because apparently their studies have shown that if you get pregnant on it, it can cause, um, uh, what do you call it, like fetal issues. Um, So you have to wait three months and then you, you basically have to wait for your period to come back because I, I basically didn't have a period for like three years, which like was a weird silver lining. Like I really didn't mind it. <laughs> no bloating, no cramps, no period, nothing. Um, so you had to wait for that to come back. And mine came back pretty quickly, which was great. Um, came back in a vengeance. like the worst period i've ever had in my whole life basically I was mad at you seriously <laughs> yeah. neglecting yeah. it for so Why'd you long why suppress me for so long <laughs> um and then i have then i went back on them well they were like you can you can take them you can get back on your meds 6 weeks postpartum which now looking back is ludicrous cuz like you're barely healed at 6 weeks and then to basically mess with your hormones mm-hmm. that early on is just crazy. So, I asked my doctor and this is the most frustrating thing to hear when you're young with cancer is I was like, "So when should I go back on my meds?" and he's just like, "Well, there's really no research, so, you know, as soon as you can." And I was like, "Cool." So, you're <laughs> grappling with, like, do I breastfeed my child? Because if you go back on your meds, you can't breastfeed because they have done absolutely no research on, like, what do these medications have on the impacts of breastfeeding? Why would they? So um, I pushed the timeline to about three and a half months postpartum because I was like, well, we got pregnant really quickly. Some women have to, like, try for multiple months to get pregnant. So I was like, maybe that's time I can then push to the other side of it. And I went back on my meds maybe like, I think it was like two and a half weeks ago. So that was my process. And then I'll be on them until I decide to take the next window break to then maybe have a second child if I can.
0: Yeah. so happy for you. Yeah. Thanks. That's amazing. (laughs) Yeah. Are you still with the same partner that you were with at that time?
1: Yeah. Okay. Great.
2: Yeah. So it all worked out in the end, but only in hindsight, right? (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Um, You don't have to answer this if you don't want to, but um did like any of the medications or or even like your change in appearance affect anything in your relationship or like intimately
1: um yes i feel like my libido completely dropped off a cliff like i basically just had no sexual urges at all still don't although when i went off my medication i felt like it did come back So that gave me confidence that it wasn't me. It was the medication, but that's been really frustrating because I'd like to think that before this, I was like really into it. (laughs) Um, and that's affected our relationship for sure. And I feel like I don't, I don't blame my partner, but I feel like he doesn't fully appreciate the, the complexities and just like everything I've gone through because it's it's way so heavy on you day after day. And then to accommodate someone else's like emotional, physical needs on top of what you're dealing with is really hard. And how do you express that to someone? And That's been really challenging. Um, and then just like the heaviness of having gone through it. I feel like You just kind of want again. We just want to close that book and put it put it away. But you can't deny that it doesn't have an effect on your day to day. And like how I live my life is very like risk adverse because I'm always thinking about the worst, and that can impact all the decisions you make. Whether it's like a small decision about like like oh my god like don't do that with with Griffin because like this could happen like as in my son and he's like that's so ex- that that would never happen like relax but i'm just thinking like i have to preserve everything good in my life cuz i don't think i could cope if something bad were to happen so that totally impacts your relationship and like
2: yeah yeah there's definitely a lot to navigate there yes. for yes. sure um have you felt the same way or Uh yeah, I mean it was a really big issue for us because I that the injection specifically like really affected me physically and like even just to the point and I'm very open about this in my episode so um don't be shocked but uh, like literally like my vagina was like closing and dying and like it was painful like super painful I had that too Yeah. yeah and on top of that I was dealing with um like i don't really know how to describe it but i'll just call it bladder pain because i i got um a really really bad uti from the combination of chemo and the um injection because my hormones had like completely dropped and um it left me with like basically super sensitive like tissue inside my bladder mm. so i felt like i had to pee like at full at full like, level for, like, three months. Like, it was awful. Yeah, I literally, like, it was just the worst thing I've ever experienced in my life. And throughout all of that, I didn't want to have sex, obviously. Not. Yeah, <laughs> But um, it was really hard for my partner to deal with. And I think to him, it was just like, like, is this going to be, like, forever? Like, is this our reality now? Like, we just, like, don't have any intimacy anymore. Like, it's just dead. Yeah. And to me, it's, like, literally not even on my radar. Like, I'm just waking up and figuring out how to survive every day. Like, I'm not thinking about, like, how to, you know. I think that's the hardest thing because to your partner, it's, like,
1: they just want this intimacy of sex and whatever. And you're just, like, I am sitting in my isolated bubble here, dealing with the heaviness of everything I'm dealing with physically dealing with. I can't even imagine what that pain is. Actually, I kind of can because I have a history of having a lot of UTIs and I have PTSD from it. So I can only imagine what you went through for three months. But like, how can you prioritize someone's sexual needs when you're dealing with that? Like you're almost (laughs) resentful of them for prioritizing that over what you're going through and arguing with you on it. So I feel for you. Exactly. And I think
0: Avery was really good at her partner at just explaining how he understood that it was like, I know that I'm over here being like, I want to have sex and she's over there like, I want to survive. Mm-hmm. So it's not exactly the same level, but it, but that in itself explains the complexities of being in a relationship and yes. going through cancer.
1: It's a good point because like, it's almost like life is always relative. And so they're de- they're you're exactly right. Like they're dealing with their own struggles, and his struggle is like, I don't know what the future of our relationship is, which is a real struggle. But like for you, that's like struggle number five. Like you've got a lot of struggles that prioritize before that, but that doesn't make it any less of a struggle.
2: Yeah, yeah exactly. And I think also just like as a woman you're dealing with so many different like I didn't lose my hair. I was so lucky. Oh, I, I was gonna ask you about that. Did the cold cap work? Yeah, like a hundred yeah. like I would say ninety five percent. I lost like a little bit of hair at the very back here, but that's just because the cold cap like didn't cover it. Wow, but so I didn't lose any other hair. Like even the nurses were like shocked that it worked so well. I think it was also because I was doing only taxol, so it was a oh, little maybe. bit lighter of a thing. And I have super thick hair, so I don't know. It just like worked really well. But um, but yeah, like I I lost my eyebrows mostly and eyelashes, and I mean generally you don't feel like sexy (laughs) you know like how are you I felt like a goblin you know it's (laughs) like okay I'm in pain I feel like a goblin like how am I supposed to make you feel good. I don't know. I know. I know.
1: (laughs) I'm so glad you didn't lose your hair because honestly, what was worse than losing my hair was having to painfully wait for it to grow back. Mm. And this is such a basic concept, but people are flabbergasted when I tell them, but when your hair grows from scratch, it is the weirdest thing because you have to remember that it's so hard to explain, but it's so basic. This is higher than this. So this is going to grow even though it's the same length. This is going to grow longer than this. Like the bottom of your hair grows faster. Exactly. So like
2: it doesn't grow faster. It goes the same, but like, you know what I mean? Oh yeah. It's just like longer at the, so you kind of have like a mullet catch up. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah.
1: So, but but then you're so obsessed with it getting longer that you don't want to cut it. So then you end up with the weirdest hair (laughs) and it is so infuriating because you're like, I thought I was out of the thick of it, but I feel like I'm still in it because I have to deal with this every day. Yeah. And I, I, again, I have really curly hair, so I couldn't have this like, you know, flat, nice, short hair look. And that was... I joke about it, but it was really hard, like really, really hard. Mm -hmm. And I'm just so thankful you didn't have to go through that.
2: It's almost like going through different stages of like recognizing yourself. Cause if it's constantly changing, if your hair is like growing. Yeah. And you, and then I would have to find new ways of like, like one day I would would be able to like pin it back
1: here and then it just got to be too much and I couldn't do that. And then like, it was a weird stage where I could kind of straighten it, but like kind of not. And there was a lot of awkward stages. Well, it looks great now. Well, thank you. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's also
0: pin straight right now, yeah. so we're trying to imagine. <laughs> yeah,
1: I, know, yeah. I deceive people a lot. <laughs>
2: yeah. <laughs> yeah, there's just, there's so much we have to deal with as women on top of it. I I feel like it's like a whole, it's a whole other thing. Yeah. I was, I was really interested because um, we've talked to a couple guys that went through testicular cancer and ours is so, Like breast cancer is so hormone related Mm -hmm. that I was like, I wonder if testicular cancer is at all hormone related, and it like they both said no, which is so interesting. No idea. Yeah, yeah. But yeah.
0: Did you have to do any genetic testing after the fact? Did you try and find out what the root cause might have been?
1: Yeah. So I did that immediately, actually, because if I had had the genetic mutation, I would have had to do a mastectomy, or they would have like definitely oh, right, recommended right, right. it because they're like, the odds of it coming back is so high that you should remove them both. Mm-hmm. But it it came back negative.
0: Okay. So this is the thing that's a little bit concerning. Everybody we have talked to did the genetic testing and nobody was genetically
1: predisposed to having cancer. When you have cancer, you start to question, what are the permanencies in my life? The water I drink, the water I drink at my office, my office building the creams I use that like, what do you use every single day? What do you eat every single day? Like you start to question absolutely everything. Like I changed my body wash and shampoo and conditioner because you start to become psychotic, Mm
0: -hmm.
1: but then like, but then do you rest on the fact that nothing caused it or do you obsess over what caused it?
2: It's so hard. Like I went through a period of time where I was not eating And I still cut a lot of these things out of my diet, but like at one point I was so hardcore. I was like not eating any gluten, like zero sugar, not even natural sugar. I changed all my like shampoos and conditioners and body washes and makeup to natural things, which I'm really happy we have those options, but also, like my hair was dry and shitty all the time. <laughs> and like the makeup didn't work. I'm sure there's better options than I found, but it was just like not good for me. And then like the, I, you know, I wasn't drinking. Like there was just so many restrictions on my life. The not drinking thing ugh, took my soul. Yeah. That was really hard. Yes. And you just become like, I don't like a cardboard box of like frizzy hair and like no fun. And it's just yeah. really hard yeah.
1: to do and that. And you're questioning it every single day. yeah Like the, when you're looking in the aisle to buy the shampoo, you're thinking death or this bottle. <laughs> yes. like Or you're like, uh, the drinking thing was so hard because it was right in the crux of when my friends were doing weddings and bachelorettes oh. and birthday parties and all this. And you're like, okay, was that two drinks? Okay, maybe I'll have three. Should I have four? Is four too much? Oh, I think four is too much. Like maybe we and do that. So you're like on the dance floor questioning like cancer versus one more drink <laughs> yeah. and no one can even relate to you. Yeah. And you're just in this like dark box of isolation and you're like, why don't I just go home? Yeah, Like it's just dark.
0: Yes. <laughs> Did you get any pointers or any explanation from the hospital in terms of anything like nutrition or like things to avoid or anything like that? Any lifestyle tips?
1: So... Western medicine is great, but they do not advise on that at all. In fact, I tried to ask my doctor so many times and he was just like, this is I, I swear to you, this is literally what he said. He was just like, no, just, you know, live your life. You know, it's no, it, nothing, you know, there's nothing really you can can do that would change much. Just live your life. And I was like, okay. Whereas my like, <laughs> cert, my cert, that was my oncologist. My surgeon was just like, you know, just, just alcohol, maybe three to five drinks a week or less, you know, like just limit your alcohol. And I was just like, okay, but they won't advise on this whole like new world of like organic eating or like no sugar or like whatever. They're not there.
0: And arguably like old world also way of doing stuff.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I think, I think also it's too much of a liability for them. Like they're Mm -hmm. just so much, you know, red, red, what do you call that? Like, um, red tape, red tape. Yeah. It gets complicated though. Cause I went to a naturopath and she's like, oh, you had breast cancer. Like, oh, take turmeric, take this, take this, take this. And I'm like, okay, yeah, I'll take it all. Blah, blah, blah. Also like the drugs I'm on, when you reduce the level of estrogen, when you're premenopausal, you can have risk for osteoporosis. So like you need to take calcium to keep your bones strong, blah, blah, blah. There's all these things. So then I start taking this stuff and then I go in to pick up my medication at the hospital recently. And they're like, Oh, we just want to do a little bit of a survey on like what um, vitamins you're taking, blah, blah, blah. Cause there's research that always comes out that says what conflicts and whatever with your drugs. So I settle the things I'm taking and they're just like, Oh, there is a little bit of evidence that turmeric could conflict with your drugs. And I was just like, <gasps> really? Well, what in the world? Like this is so confusing and you're going to get m- different views on different things people are going to say oh you have to take this this will help but then other people are like oh don't take that or like people are like oh take cbd oil or like all this stuff and you get so confused and at one point i just was like i'm just not i'm just taking nothing at this point. I'm just going to eat well, get my greens, like get my vitamins from food and just like not take any of these supplements. Cause like it's messing with my mind and I'm just becoming a psychotic wreck because I'm thinking about like, what if I took this pill every day and then I got a reoccurrence? Like I would definitely, that'd be the first thing that I would point to of like permanence again in my life of what would have caused my reoccurrence. So it's a mind fuck.
2: Yeah, I actually ended up doing the exact same thing where I was, like, taking tons of stuff. And then more because of my whole bladder situation, I was just like, okay, I can't take anything because I need to rule everything out. But it's the same thing. Like, I just, now I take, like, I take vitamin D and that's it. Yeah. So I just, I'm like... And I'll put things in my diet, like, but that's interesting about the turmeric. I haven't heard that. And I, I mean, I eat turmeric. I don't eat tons, but there's not,
1: but they're like, it's slight evidence.
2: So like, whatever that means, but also
1: what an interesting
0: thing to decide to test because it's like a food, like in a lot of people's culture, it's also just like a daily food. Yeah. So it's just bizarre because like, did you test sugar? Like, did we have that? Yeah, (laughs) Yeah.
2: we need to know that one. Yeah, yeah, seriously. (laughs) (laughs) Or alcohol,
1: like, really, we should be drinking no alcohol, but no one's gonna say that. Yeah, Yeah. well, they're (laughs) trying with the
0: two drinks, they're trying. Yeah, yeah, Yeah. it's not going over well. So, yeah,
2: (laughs) that whole thing has given me anxiety, honestly. Like, now I feel like I'm thinking about it so much more whenever I drink that I just have this like voice in the back of my head that's like. You're going to die. Yeah. Or like, well, just know down the road you did this to yourself. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. That's what I think. (laughs) Yeah. Which is terrible because we still should be able to like have some vices and have some, you know, stress release. Yeah. But now at age like 30, I just turned 34, I'm
1: finding I naturally just don't want to drink. that much. But I think right when I was diagnosed, it was like a very pivotal time where like drinking was very prominent. In fact, like I know I drank way too much before I got diagnosed, which could have been a factor. Like, I don't know. I'm okay to admit that it was a factor, but like it was a really hard transition out of it. But now I'm like, I'm glad I transitioned early because I knew some friends that still drink a ton and I know it's so unhealthy Mm -hmm. that I've just kind of like been very okay with drinking non-alcoholic or just, just Mm -hmm. literally like not alcoholic drinks for a while now and I've kind of like been ahead of the curve in mm. that sense. That's great. Yeah. Yeah. But I still occasionally have a few more. <laughs> yeah.
2: <laughs> Who doesn't? Like it's you hard. Just, yeah. It's so hard. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I've definitely um been growing away from like the binge drinking. Yeah. Like I think that that definitely is um not great <laughs> for yeah. you. But it's hard. I mean the wine it's like wine with dinner, like sometimes that's hard, and I'm not a big drinker. Either. like I would binge drink, but I um would like I wasn't drinking like every week, even you know it was very like spread out. Yeah. So that'll mess with you too because it's like, well, was that like too much? Like mm-hmm.
0: the tough part is that then you see like the 100 year old grandmother who's still
1: smoking. So
0: know, it's oh really God. tough to. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Balance it? <laughs> That's true. <laughs> Do you ever wonder if it would be easier to cope with if the doctor looked at you and was like, there was nothing you could have done to get this? Yeah. You think that would be easier?
2: Yeah. Like, basically saying, like, I, if I changed anything, it wouldn't matter. Yeah. Um, yeah, I think so. Because if I be- trust them or believe them, I guess is a different blessing um, But let's question. say you believe them. Because in yeah. that scenario you have no control, right? Yeah, I think it would be easier. Yeah. Because then you wouldn't have to question like all your actions constantly.
1: See, I go back and forth because I'm like maybe having a bit of control Mm -hmm. makes me feel better because I'm like I did cut out alcohol. So I'm like maybe I took control back and changed my outcome because of that. I go back and forth. Sometimes I'm
2: not sure what I would prefer. That's interesting. I think personally I just like the idea of it being in fate's hands and like whatever it is, it is. Yeah. Yeah. It certainly feels like fate when you're diagnosed at 29. Yeah.
0: Yeah.
1: <laughs> <Yes>. yeah. <laughs> How are you two years down the road?
2: Oh no, sorry. You're four years. Wait, uh, two, two. Sorry. I'm thinking of myself. Three, two, no, two. I actually just had my, um, last, MRI. So I do, I don't know what kind of like screening you do, but I do an MRI every six months and a mammogram every six months. Yeah. So I'm now one per year. Okay. Each. Yeah. Yeah. Nice. That's better than, (laughs) than doing them all, I guess. Um, but so I just had my last, um, MRI in January and I had that appointment follow-up appointment last week and everything was clear. So mm-hmm. that was nice, a nice, like, two-year mark of everything looking good. Yeah, that's great. Um, otherwise, I would say that, like, I don't really feel any of the, like, bad side effects anymore. Even, like, the medication, I barely feel the side effects from from it. Oh, and I'm good. just on the pill now. Okay. So, yeah, everything is, is really good. You don't feel like...
1: um like any like hard emotions now?
2: Um, I think I'm in a really good place right now. I think it's, it's more like those little daily things that will just kind of nag, like, should I have drank that glass of wine or whatever? But that's more just like annoying to deal with. Um, I think that when I have kids that I think that some of that stuff will resurface. Like that's just how I feel like my gut, mm-hmm. but on a day to day right now, I don't really, I honestly don't really think about it too much. That's good. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's, it's interesting. Cause I feel like the emotions have like ebbed and flowed over the years. And I remember talking to someone when I was newly diagnosed and she was like almost five years out. And I was like, how do you feel being five years out? And she's like, honestly, I just feel a lot of anger. And I was like, oh, that's interesting. Like anger, I wouldn't have thought anger would have been what she said. Also too, because my perspective is like, if you have anger and you can't channel it anywhere, like what's the use of that anger? It just, it just kind of like I don't know, it has no place. So I'm like kind of feels like a waste to feel that anger when it can't be placed. Um, but anyways, now five years out, I kind of get it. Like I mm-hmm. do feel a lot of anger more. And to not be able to channel it and place it somewhere is like extremely hard. Mm-hmm. You feel anger at like like more like why did I have to go through this and other people don't, or you see other people living their lives the way you wish you did, and you feel angry about that. I mean, I, sorry, I say you as in a general sense, but like, this is just me and like, hopefully you won't feel this way, but yeah, I, it's, it's hard to ignore it Mm. lately, Mm -hmm. but that's been hard to deal with. Um, but yeah,
2: otherwise, you know, I can't believe I'm at five
1: years, which is pretty crazy. Yeah,
2: that is. I, I do feel that as more time passes um, when it does come around those like appointment times, like follow-ups and screenings, there's like almost a little bit more fear because Mm -hmm. I'm like further away from the experience. So it is like closing the book and like putting it away and not really thinking about it. And then I'm realizing that I'm like in this appointment to find out if I have cancer again. (laughs) And it's like, it's just a little bit more, scary, I think, because it, Yeah. and especially like on this last one, I was just like having a really good day and I felt really good about it. And I was like, oh yeah, like everything's going to be fine. And then I just had a moment where I was like, but like, it could just like hit, like maybe because I feel good, it'll just like hit me like a ton of bricks, you know, and I'll just get bad news. Like, I don't know. So I think that as more time passes and as I'm further away from it, it does get actually a little bit more um, scary in a way.
1: Yeah. Well, for me, I get frustrated at the tests because I'm just like I feel like, in some ways, I feel like they're a waste of time because they're only like what people don't know is they think you're getting scanned every year and they think all the doctors are keeping tabs on whether the cancer is coming back. When in actuality, they're only looking at your breasts only mm. and my risk for my cancer anyways is for it to come back somewhere in my body like there's a risk that there's a cancer cell in my body just laying dormant and could attach itself to my liver or to my lungs or to my bones and there's no scan mm-hmm. they're basically just relying on me to, to call them up one day and be like hey it's i'm coughing weird like can i get checked <laughs> And then there's an x-ray and like, oh, yep, it's um, moved into your lungs. But I'm not getting those scans. In fact, I had a bit of a scare because I had pain in my like back. This is like maybe a year after active treatment or something. And I had pain in my back and it was kind of like lingering for a long time. And I was getting a little nervous about it because I wasn't doing anything to cause the pain. And I went to my family doctor and again, like say the word cancer and they're just like, oh, my God. (laughs) So they like got me all these tests and then... It was like a, I think they they only have the ability to do like an x-ray. So then my oncologist picked up the x-ray, I guess, without me knowing. And I, without him telling me, I got booked for a bone scan, like a full body bone scan. Oh my God. So the next thing I know, I get this notification on my app being like, you've been booked for a full body bone scan. And I was just like, what? (laughs) So I got, but, but that's the only, it came out clear, obviously, but that's the only scan I've had to look anywhere else in my body. Yeah. And that will be the only time. I'll have it if I advocate for myself and say, oh, something doesn't feel right. But otherwise, like, it would have to be a local reoccurrence for these tests that I have to catch anything, right? Mm -hmm. Is your guy's chance of a a local
0: reoccurrence higher than an average person just getting cancer?
1: Yes. It is? Yeah. Okay. So the average person, what my oncologist told me is like, an average person getting cancer is, sorry, Let's talk breast cancer, but, like, yeah, women, it's 1 in 8, which is pretty crazy. What? Yeah.
2: Yeah, it is very, it's high. In a lifetime, yeah. in a
1: lifetime. Like, like, the chance of getting it under 30 is not 1 in 8. Okay. We're talking lifetime. <laughs> yeah. <Okay. laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. If you look at the chances of, like, under 30, it's, like, less than 1% of the population. Okay. Yeah. Um. So, uh, my chance of a reoccurrence based on my prognosis and, like, whatever is 1 in 6 and and one thing i mentioned very briefly early on but like so i just passed 5 years which in the cancer world in generic terms would be like a you're cured stage so you're basically when you're done active treatment you're called to be in remission and then when you hit 5 years it's you're cured and that's for a lot of cancers but my cancer because of just the way it is with like i think with hormones being a factor I'm, it's never going to be considered that cured. So while I hit five years, my chances of getting it in year five is going to be the same of getting it in year 30. Mm-hmm. Like there's no rest easy period. Mm-hmm. So my one in six is going to stay with me for life. mm mm-hmm. But the one version of breast cancer, the triple negative, where it's like no hormones, no HER2, that one is considered cured at five years. Oh, interesting. Yeah. Yeah. It's funny. I was talking to my oncologist recently and I was just like, so like, I mean, that's, that's kind of great. They can be considered cured at five years. So is that the better one to have? And he's just like, well, in hindsight... But like it is the more aggressive kind up until you can be cured from it, and I was like, okay, fair.
2: Yeah, because I guess they they uh, don't know as well how to treat it, right? Yeah, because yeah, if you are positive, you can have targeted yes. therapies. Yeah,
1: <clears throat> and I think they say triple negative is more common in younger women. I think. Oh yeah, I think it obviously
0: makes. I think it makes a lot of sense that you guys have these like looping worrying thoughts, but do you have a way of addressing those thoughts in any way? Like, do you have a way of coping with that loop of like, everything is this or cancer?
1: Yeah, I guess like, it really comes down to like, if that is my fate, if that is my future, then why am I ruining my present with worrying about that? Mm -hmm. You know, I think it's literally that simple and while it's a simple concept it can be hard to you know apply to your life every day but that's kind of how i dealt with it with my new son it's kind of like i could be in heavy thoughts every day thinking that he'll grow up without a mother or i could just be with him and be his mother and do the best i can while i'm here and maybe i'll be here forever who knows or maybe i won't but like i can't control that and i can't i'm not i'm not going to ruin my day mm-hmm. that i have cancer-free with it. Mm -hmm. And so that's kind of just how I think about it.
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, I can very much understand that that's like easier said than done. I've tried therapy,
1: but even with a therapist, like it takes a long time. I I don't know if you've had success, but like it takes a long time trying to find a therapist that works, especially Mm -hmm. when you've gone Mm -hmm. through so much stuff. Like I've dealt with like way too much Mm -hmm. and it's complex and it it affects it mutually affects affects everything i've gone through and you, when you start unloading you just realize how um not isolated but you realize how unique your situation is and like no one's really going to understand it mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and so while a therapist might help you like compartmentalize and organize your thoughts and and give you perspective like I just never had success with it because Mm -hmm. I just feel like, I don't know, I just, I haven't truly been able to sit across from someone and really relate my life with them and how Mm -hmm. I feel about my life. And so I just, yeah, I don't know. I, I haven't, I haven't had success with that, with dealing Mm -hmm. with those emotions. Yeah. Yeah.
2: I think therapy makes sense if it's like hindering your everyday life to mm-hmm. like an extreme. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But I think if it's something that you've learned that you kind of have coping mechanisms for already, like talk, like talking about it, maybe when you aren't even thinking about it, you know, mm-hmm. can be a little bit more stressful. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So it's hard. It's like, I think it just depends on like where you're at in mm-hmm. with that mentally.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. I also think too, it was hard for me to understand that people like my friends anyways, at least will never understand what it's like to be in my shoes. And instead of being resentful to them about it or like frustrated or disappointed or whatever, it's more giving them grace that it's not their fault that they don't understand. And like training my brain to think of it that way, because If you, Because otherwise you can start pushing people away if you get too frustrated with the fact that like they don't understand or like they live their lives totally differently than I could ever live my life. And you could easily get frustrated and I think that's where a lot of my anger comes from. Or you could just realize that like you could either think that way and lose people in your life or you can understand that like maybe, you know, life truly is relative and
2: they're not supposed to understand. I don't know. I think, I mean, and I think that this will change when I have kids because I don't have those kinds of attachments right now, but I think throughout this whole thing, I've really had to like think about death a lot and I think that throughout that somehow I've just, I've also, and I've also had a a near death experience when I was like a lot younger, I almost drowned. And I think the combination of that and just having to think about it now, like I I've just kind of come to terms with it and feel like it's not a negative thing. Mm. So I think that that is kind of what really helps me like, like lean on if that makes sense. Mm
1: -hmm. It's a good point. I I think there was a time where I had that scare where I had the whole bone um, scan And I kind of just sat there one day and I was just like, I think I just need to come to peace with the fact that this could be my fate. And Mm -hmm. when it is my fate, I just, I've come to peace with the fact that I could die early and I may have to go down this road of like the whole shabam, like chemo radiation, like again, lose my hair again, like all these things. Because that's the only option. Like there are no other options. Right. And then For me, it's I've come to peace with the thought of death. Like it sounds crazy, but like I'm not scared to die. I think what I'm scared of is how that'll impact the lives of the people that love me, Mm -hmm. and that is the heaviest part Mm -hmm. of it all.
2: You're nodding. I feel like you understand. Yes, I mean this is a common theme that we've talked about. I think almost in every episode, Mm
1: -hmm. is just
2: that like putting putting it on your loved ones. Yeah, and. That, I think I've said it in almost every episode, but it's, it is, it's like if the worst case scenario happens and I die, they're the ones I have to carry on and pick up the pieces. Yeah. So, yeah, it's, it's almost in some ways, I mean, it's interesting because thinking about like the worst case scenario in that scenario it's almost easier for you because you're going off into a bit an abyss whatever death is they have to continue on and live on i think where it becomes hard for you is honestly going through treatment like that is when i think about recurrence i think about like fuck i have to do all this shit again mm-hmm. like that is mm-hmm. what it is it's not like oh fuck i might die it's like oh i don't want to do all this shit again yeah you yeah. know mm-hmm. yeah so, yeah,
1: and ca- cancer really brings out some intense emotions out of people. Like, I hate to even say the word because it just sometimes it makes people cry on the spot. Like, people can't handle cancer, mm-hmm. even when it's like you're telling a coworker and they're hearing it about you, and they get so emotional about it. People like cancer is a very, very scary thing in the world, and I think oddly enough, it gets less scary the more you're exposed to it. And there could be a sense of numbness in there too, for sure. But when I found the people that were so emotional about it, who literally like are not even that close to me and cried to me about my cancer were people that just hadn't really dealt with it before. It is a scary, scary thing.
0: Mm -hmm.
1: And yeah, the the way people dealt with it was just all over the map, but yeah, it was, it was pretty wild how it affects people. And that's like, that's how
0: we got to the point of doing this podcast to begin with, because there are so many things that I think are made worse by a lack of understanding cancer. So everything from, Understanding how to be a support system to how you said you gave your friends grace because you understood that they can't really know how to be there for you. But if it's something that's commonplace in our culture, in our society, why aren't we spending more time of understanding what it means to be a support system for somebody who's going through cancer? Mm -hmm. What does it mean to even? What does it mean to go through cancer because one in eight people or whatever statistic or whatever different cancer? Will go through it, and why do people continually have to go through it blind? And we're just not doing anything preemptive about it. Mm
1: -hmm.
0: And so, as a community conversation, I think we can do better at helping people feel less isolated because it is a very common theme for people to say, and then I had to tell people that I love. And I put myself second because it was just harder to understand how it was affecting them. And that is wild. Like it is physically affecting you and you are going through this and the support system needs to be better equipped so that this isn't like you have to deal with cancer and you have to deal with dealing with people with who who have to deal with you having cancer. Like it's just yeah, like such yeah. a loop.
1: You're trying to navigate everyone's emotions when like it's about you. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. No, it's so true.
0: And yeah. yeah. I mean, I think cultural understandings of death as well are just – you know, there are certain cultures that celebrate death and the concept of life after death, and I think that's very refreshing. Or I can assume that could be a little bit refreshing to be like, "Well, we live in a world where we all die, so how do we accept death as part of life so that we can live just a little bit easier without like this thing looming over us?" You know. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. These are just abstract thoughts,
1: but I'm no, just putting them out true. there. Yeah. <laughs> no, for sure. I and I. There's a lot of fear to cancer, like, arguably so. Like, of course there's fear. But, I mean, it's a huge part of everyone's lives. And the fact that we're just, like, don't want to touch it with a long pole, it's, like, that's not doing anyone any favors. Like, should we live in a world where cancer is, like, increasing by the day? No. There's obviously problems, for sure. Some underlying issues. But that doesn't mean that we... Have to keep being so terrified to the point where, like, the people that are going through it can't get the support they need because everyone's too scared to even say the word. Like, I'm scared to say the word. I hate saying the word. Like, it Mm -hmm. has so much depth to it, you know? Mm -hmm. And I hate saying it in relation to myself. Like, the words I had cancer, I rarely say that. I Mm -hmm. just can't say it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I don't can't think of anything else that has that effect. Yeah. That's true. Mm
0: -hmm. I just had a thought and it went out of my head. (laughs) But it was very much related to what you were saying.
1: I feel like I cut you off. I could see you're about to say it. (laughs) It's all good.
0: (laughs) Well, oh, actually, because I was going to say to your guys' point about the type of cancer that is always seen in movies, and I'm the type of person that, like, I won't read a sad book, I won't read a sad movie unless it's like a biography or a biopic because what is the point? Like, I don't need to be made sad by a fake story. It just Mm -hmm. very much frustrates me, but it's also like, maybe we should in pop culture discuss the fact that there are young people that get cancer and then they go on and have kids and grandkids and live full lives Mm -hmm. so that we can all think that that is very much possible because it is, you know,
2: that's true. Yeah. It's, it's always, um, I mean most of the examples that I can think of are like highly dramatized and worst case scenario situations. And wrong. They yeah. get it wrong.
1: Yeah. All the time. Yeah. I'm just like, that wouldn't happen because that's not how it goes. <laughs> yeah. So like yeah. why do you why can't you get it right? <laughs> yeah. Like it make that makes me mad too. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I get frustrated with that.
2: (laughs) There's enough people out there that have experienced it or know someone that could give you, like, good information (laughs) to put in a movie, you know? Yeah. (laughs) And it is
0: relevant because at the end of the day, we're talking about it. And it's affecting people who have had cancer. It's affecting people's understanding of cancer. Yeah. So it's important to get it right. Mm -hmm. Exactly. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Oh, the other thing I was going to say is, like, just kind of on this, but but a little bit different is like I had breast cancer at age 29. I w- went through treatment. I then went off my meds. I had a baby. Now I'm back on my meds. Is anyone tracking this? No. Am I being used for research? No. Hmm. Like, should I not be used as like a story that like when someone else this young gets breast right. cancer and it's like, Oh, talk to this person or this person did X, Y, and Z. And now that she has a child and all this, it's like, when I was diagnosed, I got none of that. It wasn't like, here, talk to these people. It was like, basically had to find my way through the whole thing. And I'm like, there's just so little resources in that way. Because when you're young, that's what you need. Those are the stories you need to keep that you know, that spirit inside you going so you can get through this next long haul of treatment. It's like, I don't want to Google and only find support for 50 year old plus women who don't get me wrong. It's terrible at that age as it is terrible at any age, but like, there's just no support easily findable, um, for young people. And also young people
0: have a lot, more to think about it's awful 50 plus Mm -hmm. but you're probably done having kids yeah and you may already have figured out your relationships but with like with your guys case like both of you you weren't married you were in a relationship. Some people are dating and that's like messing up your entire dating life at that age. You have to think about fertility. You have to think about your career. You have to think about your social life. These are things that are like, they're compounding Mm -hmm. to how stressful cancer can be.
1: And you have to preserve them because you need them when you come out of this because they're so prevalent in your life at that point. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
2: Yeah. There's so much more to think about. Yeah. Hmm. My brain is tapping out. Yeah, yeah <laughs> me too. I'm like experiencing glitch. A little. Yeah. yeah, this is great though. I think you guys are doing a great thing, and
1: thanks for letting me be a part of it. Is there
2: anything else you wanted to talk about, or anything we didn't touch on that you?
1: Know? No, I think we literally touched on everything. Yeah, yeah. I think I'm tapped out too. Okay. <laughs>
0: okay. Yeah. Well, thank you very much for all your time. Yeah, thanks for you, and we uh, we're happy to have you here. Not the best circumstances, but happy that we have connected so we can yeah. all talk.
1: Yeah, yes. exactly. Um, yeah.
2: Thanks. Well, it was nice to hear that. your story.
1: And I'm so glad you're doing well.
2: Thank you. You too. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's positive.
1: It's so nice yeah. to hear good stories.
2: Yeah. yeah.